Doc Rivers continues to time and time again not get it when it comes to getting... Oh! Let him play! Good evening, sports fans! And a pleasure to have you here for the Sandwich Sports Show. Good to have you all back here on all the scenarios. Nice to see you again. I need to... This sign back here, I forgot to turn on. Oh my goodness. So sorry, but... Uh, my name is Dave Medina. You also know me as Davey Eating a Sandwich on all the platforms. Um, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and here on Twitch, of course, where we're streaming live tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to have a really comprehensive golf recap. Uh, we'll be recapping a few events, including the most recent one, which was the players. Um, and uh, that is an event won by Scotty Scheffler. And I'm going to get ahead of this right now. Oh, sorry. What an amazing mush by me. Good God. I'm going to get... Let me explain. I was texting everybody Sunday morning that, oh man, this is going to be the night. This is going to be where Scotty Scheffler slips. And uh, what happens? He ends up blowing everybody away, winning the court, winning the entire tournament by... What was it? We went by five strokes. That damn thing was clenched at like the eighth hole. There's like through two hours where everybody was just playing out the string. I mean that is that is gonna be one of the bigger mushes of the of the decade for sure. Like unbelievable. But let's go introduce our panel tonight. I mean, it's so great to see our friends back. It's great to talk golf again. Um, and we're here on Twitch, and we're gonna be hanging out here. And after we're done, we're actually gonna raid right out after we're done with our stream tonight. And then, uh, but I would like to recommend another sports show, Robbie G Sports OTHP, which is also on Twitch. It's doing a tournament preview tonight so check that out too later on if you if you can um we'll do our own tournament preview as well here on this program but first let's say hi to everybody on our panel jim mike is back john is back uh mike let's go to you first welcome back how's it going tonight good to see you by the way it's good to see you too dave uh since i was last on the show you've become a twitch star i see you've got all this different <laughs> branding going on now thanks mike a, a re relaunch of the program under a different name but now, listen, I, I'm really happy for you. You were really one of the like most genuine, nice and uh, uniquely uh, you have a unique personality, very engaging. So I'm glad to see that you've picked up a larger audience here who is also found it appealing. Well, thanks, uh, Mike. That's actually really that's really nice of you to say. And um, I just feel it's vindication for for the work I've been doing all this time, you know. It is cool to see an audience for it now. Like it is, it is really cool. Like I appreciate that very much, and um, I hope that you can join. I'm glad to have you for the ride. Honestly, Mike, this will be a fun like few months as we keep talking golf and doing other things uh, as we go along. Um, let's go over to John and John. Welcome back. How's it going tonight? Yeah, Dave. Thanks for having us back. Um, echo all the same thoughts as Mike. It's great to see how things have taken off with you here on Twitch and. Yeah, I, I'm in for this golf segment once a month, like we had talked about. I think the last time we talked some golf was um, it was right before it was right before the Super Bowl, so it was like right before the Phoenix Open. So we can kind of, I mean, the players. There's not much to talk about. We can kind of recap like the last <laughs> month of the tour and everything yeah. else that's been kind of going on in the world of golf. Because there's there's certainly been a lot. So um, definitely uh, should be interesting to talk about that, and then some March Madness stuff later. So yeah, glad to be back, Dave. Thanks. Absolutely. And uh, just to re just to re re echo that from John, like John will stay with us uh, after our golf coverage and we'll, we'll get into the NCAA tournament preview. I think we'll be about done at roughly 1030 Eastern time tonight, if anyone's curious as to how what we're, what we're aiming for. 
but uh, we can cover all that in about we can cover all that in, in that amount of time. So back to John, back to Mike. Yeah, I mean, what a what a win for Scotty. Like, it just this is just a, an unbelievable like run he, that he had there, um, and he was really playing well all weekend. Honestly, like, I mean, you know, yeah. After all, but when it all was said and done, he still shot three under after everything. Like, it was pretty amazing stuff. And you know, they he did have some challenges. Like, I mean, M W Lee, I guess, did show his age by like, once he got to about the turn. And uh, other folks have tried to make a run, but it wasn't enough. But Mike, your thoughts on? And again, quick thoughts on the players. There was not much to talk about overall. Yeah, Scheffler showed here just how mentally strong he is. Um, one of the I don't know if you watched uh, all of uh, Full Swing Day, but really the episode which focused on Scheffler a little bit. The guy just seems to be in such a great place mentally in terms of. He knows what he can control. He seems to be very aware of how he reacts in different situations, what it does to his mindset, what it does to his body, and he knows how to react to it. And I think what contrasts him with a lot of golfers is that I think when you see players talk about, well, you know, I can only control this. Uh, I'm just going to focus on my game. They're almost trying to shy away from the moment that they can't handle the enormity of it. So they get away with it by staying micro-focused at the immediate task at hand, pulling off a shot, whatever. He's not like that. He, he keeps himself in that mindset of, Hey, I can only control my own game here, but he does so with a purpose to, yeah, but if I do that, I can win. He's not backing away from the moment. And we saw it here where, Early on in that final round, you know, he was shaky. Tee shot on one in the left woods. Second shot on two, which challenging, but he pulled it way left. And then on uh, four, the short uh, par four, he hits driver, which really uh, that was a very questionable decision. Pulls it way left, uh, hits a wedge to pretty close, which was a very difficult shot there. Up over a mound from the heavy rough with not much green to work with, with the water in front. And once he did that, he just, you know, he sort of settled down. He kept himself out of trouble and then it started to click from him. He chips it in on eight on nine. He's, you can tell he's starting to feel it. So he hits the driver uh, close down to the water on the right side, leaves himself in good position on the second shot. And then on 12, just to show you how good he was feeling uh, that drivable par four with the water on the left, he pulls out his three wood, which is, more than enough to uh, get to the green, even though he was up by, I think, two or three shots at the time. And what did he do? He hit it exactly where you need to hit it. He just knew, you know what? I'm not going to go left here. It's the one result I can't have, and I'm not going to let it happen. So it just shows you where he is, that he's able to be a little bit off getting to the first tee, and he's able to snap out of it. And that's something that if you ever heard Jack Nicholas discuss, what really set him apart was he always emphasizes that I could make adjustments on the fly. If I went out and I knew something was a little bit off, I knew how to fix it. Scotty Scheffler seems to have that to some extent. And it's just been an incredible last uh, 13 months for him, or a little bit more than 13 months, but uh, since the beginning of like the last calendar year, this is now his sixth win. 
uh, you know, a player's championship to go along with the, a, a master's. He's only the third player ever to simultaneously be a master's champion and a player's champion. The other two being Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas. So, I mean, really the sky's the limit here. And what makes this performance even more outrageous was I was looking at the, uh, I guess, advanced metrics, if you want to call them that for this week and his strokes gained putting was not great. It was like dead average. Normally when you see a guy win by five or six shots, it's all right. They played well all around, but they putted it lights out. He didn't do that here. He was just so much better than everyone else from Tita green. It was absurd. So I mean, you have Rom, who had a stretch where he won five out of uh, nine tournaments, and now you got Scheffler winning two quickly, uh, two tournaments quickly here. And it just, you know, we're really setting up a, a nice showdown going into Augusta uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I couldn't put that any better, Mike. I mean, it's it was it's it's a great it's a great place for him to be. You know, getting getting ready. You know, that really gives great momentum going into the Masters. Absolutely. Um, back to John. I mean, let's uh, let's get your quick hitters on the players as well. Yeah, uh, maybe we can we can bring up full swing as like a, a separate topic um, of conversation because that was a very interesting series for sure. But to Mike's point, like in that episode, I believe it was the Brooks Kepka episode that uh, Scheffler was was in. He made a ca- cameos in a bunch of different episodes, but like the difference, just you could just see mentally between Kepka and Scheffler is just unbelievable, and you can tell why Kepka basically kind of has lost his game recently because he's just a, like a head case, like he couldn't figure it out, like he was all in like his own mind of like, how, why am I not good anymore? And this and that. And then they show Scheffler and he's just like, eh, I'm just kind of here to play golf and do my best. And it's just going to, you know, it's just going to kind of work out. And like, that's exactly like what you can see, like nothing phases the guy. Um, and to go back to uh, Mike's point about the advanced metrics, I have this site called data golf up right now. If you look at his tournament stats, like the last 30 tournaments, he has not lost on approach or off the tee. It's unbelievable that the, that the ball striking this guy has. Like legit the number one uh, player in the world when it comes to um, tee to green play. Even if he puts it like a just a, a neutral, like an average tour player, he's going to win almost every single time with that ball striking. Where he's gotten into trouble, um, and we kind of saw it towards the end of last year, he started missing some of those short putts. Um, that kind of burned him against uh, McElroy in the tour championship. Uh, we saw that at the end of the year. He also can be a little shaky off the tee at times. We have seen that. But the way his irons, he just recovers unbelievably. He's just right on point every single time. I mean, the dude is just an animal. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the sky really is the limit for him because he's got the mental game and he's got the the, the technical game to go along with it. I mean, if you you look at I just I'm, I'm looking at these, this, this chart again. Like, it's literally green for, like, 30 straight tournaments of uh, iron play and off the team, off the team play. So um, yeah, he's going to be uh, obviously the favorite heading into the masters, him and Rom. Um, you worry now about, I, I know McElroy has played well, but like he hasn't, he hasn't gotten a win since the fall. Um, you know, you, you kind of hope that maybe he would have won at Bay Hill last week. That was, that was a missed opportunity for him. Um, if we want to talk about some of the other events, but yeah, Scheffler, he's kind of like, he's kind of almost like Kepka from a few years ago where like you knew when he got into the lead, like he wasn't, he wasn't going to give it up. And um, yeah, he's just, he's just phenomenal right now. You, I mean, you can't, you can't pick against the guy. So um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting um, showdown at Augusta between him and Rom. Uh, Rory uh, hopefully can get in the mix. 
And then we'll bring back the live players too for, for Augusta. So like Cam Smith and probably the only guy that's really notable at this point to maybe be in contention, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good, uh, good masters. So um, yeah, just incredible performance from Scotty. Yeah. Whether you, I'm one, couldn't, yeah, totally echo all that. And, um, and you talk about, you spoke about Rom too, and Rom definitely has had a, a pretty solid start to the year. Um, he had to pull out at this tournament due to my understanding with an illness. And, um, but otherwise Rom has been doing pretty solidly. Uh, Mike, any thoughts as far as, as, uh, what Rom scenario is, and we can even get into some other events from earlier in the calendar. I mean, sure. So Rom uh, was on such a heater earlier on. Well, even, I mean, his last win was what? The last event on the West Coast, the Genesis? Yes. So, but his performance was so over the top that you were seeing comparisons with his year this year to Johnny Miller in 1975. And that was one of the all time, like, early season PGA tour heaters. Now, granted, Johnny Miller won a tournament by like 18 strokes and then another one by 15 or something, which is just absolutely absurd. But the the point is, is that if you win three times before you even get to Florida, I mean, that puts you in some good historical company. Now, I will say this, though, to that granted, it, it, it's so ridiculous for a pro golfer to win five out of nine tournaments, which is what he did from, uh, what was it? The Spanish Open through the Genesis, five out of nine. Two of them were on the uh, DP World Tour. I will say this, though. I feel like we have seen guys get particularly hot like during the off season into the early part of the calendar year, and it doesn't necessarily translate. Um, you know, you, you get odd fields in those off-season events. Uh, I think some guys are just sort of mentally checked out. And granted, the DP World Tour in 2022 is not the DP World Tour of 2011, 2012. It's not as good anymore, which is consequence of where the game is now. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, you know official world golf rankings, it's been him, uh, John Rahm, Scheffler, and McElroy jumping back and forth. Right now, Data Golf has their own rankings, and I think it's Rom is like 0.01 decimal points ahead of Scotty Scheffler. But Rom's putting and his approach play have just been absolutely lights out. And when you think about uh, going into Augusta National, you know, with those very treacherous greens, and even though pretty much all the greens at Augusta are big, it's like you have to hit to the right section, and the right section is very small. The way he's hitting his irons and the way he's putting – Really, you can just see that the 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 aspects of his game that need to be going to do well at Augusta are there. So, um, yeah, even though Scheffler has uh, stolen some of the limelight lately, the way, you know, Rahm is trending, although who knows what's going on with this illness. I don't know what he had. Maybe the flu, maybe he has COVID. I know, but I'm sure he'll be fine in a, in a few weeks. Plus, of course, he's Patrick Reed, denies he's sick and ends up in the hospital, quote unquote. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, you read that too. That's, that's neither here nor there. No, uh, so I read uh, Shane, the guy who wrote uh, Chasing or Slaying the Tiger, Shane Ryan, which was that book about 2014. He wrote a book about like the history of the Ryder Cup. And there's a whole bit about Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed almost died a couple years ago, like legitimately was like he was uh, in very rough shape, but. I don't didn't have COVID, but anyway, um, so yeah, the way Rom's game and what he's doing well right now is really trending well for Augusta as is 
Scotty Scheffler. So, I mean, really, that's going to be your storyline. And Rory, of course, will be a storyline because of, you know, who he is, his stature in the game. Um, he did win a DP World Tour event um, so far this year at Dubai. So he has that going for him. But he seems a little bit off right now and distracted by some things. But, uh, yeah, you'll have those three. Those will be the three people uh, people are talking about. And you know, one forty-seven-year-old golf. It's inevitable that would be referenced at some point during this this program. But uh, yes, yes, the forty-seven-year-old <laughs> uh, John. Let's get your thoughts about uh, yeah, the last month. I mean, we talked about the Genesis a little bit. We talked about some of the other events that happened, uh, and uh, Waste Management Open that was like right before the Super Bowl. That was a it's a fun one. Did not go to the oh, did not go to the playoff though. I don't believe so. A little different this year, but your thoughts, John? Yeah, didn't go to the playoffs. Scheffler won again uh, in Phoenix. I I, for, I forget who came in second. I, mean, I have to I have to go back to the leaderboard. But um, I remember I had some pets that had a chance, and then Scheffler just like completely just steamrolled them. That's the problem with betting on the PGA Tour these days. It's like, yeah, like do you really want to bet a guy at like eight to one or ten to one? It's like it's really not that great odds. But at the same time, these guys keep winning and the. You know, I'm wasting my money on people that are like 40 and 50 to one. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, Scheffler, a great performance in um, in Phoenix right before the Super Bowl, uh, kicking us off to there. Um, and then, you know, you kind of had one of those. Um, I mean, we can get into the the proposed like schedule changes um, and kind of what the tour is, is thinking at this point. Um, but, you know, there's a clear separation here between the uh, designated and the non-designated events. And for those who aren't really kind of familiar with um, what's going on, like the quote designated events are ones with an extremely high purse, uh, 20 million compared to, um, for example, the Honda Classic was, you know, a pretty pretty weak field. And that only had a purse of um, like 9 million. So obviously the, uh, the bigger players in Pebble Beach as well, to give you an example, only a $9 million purse. So the top players in the world are going to show up to these designated events. And I think the tour is actually requiring them to play all of them, except for like you can skip on one, I guess, or something like that. Um, and then fill the rest of your schedule in with like three or four events. And it's basically creating like a, you know, a scenario where they want all the top players to show up at a, a single tournament. Um, they're actually making changes to this for next year where these designated events are no longer going to have a cut. So there's going to be like 70 or 80 people, uh, 80 golfers um, playing, no cut. It's going to be based off of the prior year's FedEx Cup points list. So this year, you know, at the end of the season, the top 70, I think, are going to just automatically qualify for these designated designated events. And then what they're going to do is they're going to stagger them. So you'll have like two of them in a row and then three non-designated events and then two more. So it's just kind of a flow in the schedule. Um, and then the other tour members who aren't part of those 70 can qualify um, by their their play and their quality of play in the non, um, non-designated non events. So like if you win one or you finish like top five in all three, then okay, then you can, get, you can play with the big boys in the next tournament and go for there. Um, you know, it kind of opens up a lot of different scenarios. Like this is kind of almost like what Liv is doing. It's like a cash grab essentially for – the top players. I mean, I know they're allowing access to like kind of the lower, you know, tour members to, to get in there, but at the same time, you know, how many are really going to take that opportunity and like turn it into, you know, a whole, like a win, like it, it's pretty unlikely. Um, so 
I get what they're doing. They're trying to put like best players all together at the same time. But I disagree with removing the cut. I think um, if Phoenix, uh, it was Scheffler and um, uh, what's his name? Nick Taylor was uh, kind of dueling him down the stretch. And that was really entertaining. And he wouldn't have been in this in these designated fields uh, otherwise. You kind of like to see like the, the kind of the guy out of nowhere. Um, and then it, just last week at Bay Hill, Kurt Kidiyama, he was like 200 to one or something. And he, he wins the tournament. And um, I think he would have been as part of the top 70 because he hits, he had been doing pretty well in uh, overseas events and um, he had some good finishes on the tour. So I think he probably would have qualified, but my, my point being, um, you know, I disagree with removing the cut from these events. I'm fine with keeping the big purses and having like, you know, all the players congregate to this, these special tournaments, but um, you're almost like recreating the world golf championships, which everyone pretty much, um, you know, they, they've kind of phased out um, and, you know, it's like free cash and free ra- world ranking points. And they're almost kind of mimicking live golf, but in any event, that's kind of my um, thoughts on like the new schedule. Uh, interested to hear what Mike has, has to say about that um, after I finish, but yeah, so after uh, Phoenix, we went to the Honda, which was an entertaining tournament. Um, Chris Kirk won over um, uh, just a complete journeyman, Eric Cole, in a playoff. That was a pretty – so, again, like these lesser fields can still be pretty pretty entertaining, um, you know, just depending on the course and the, the way it plays out. So that was a pretty um, a pretty fun event. Um, and then, obviously, I mentioned um, Kitayama winning at Bay Hill. And uh, that tournament, man – that always delivers on Sunday, like seven or eight guys could have won that down the stretch. And they're all just, you know, you know, feelings to sound like Paul Azinger. They're feeling the pressure of the back nine uh, with all those holes, like around the lake. And there's just all kinds of rough, um, you know, the, the greens are just hard as a rock. You can't keep it on the, on the putting surfaces and they're, they're super fast. And guys are just, it was just a real test of wills. And I give credit to Kitty I did not think he was going to handle that. I think he made a triple bogey on like the ninth hole or 10th hole or something like that. And I thought he was done for, but he hung in there. Um, and he, he made a couple birdies coming down the stretch and, and he won it. And, um, you know, a lot of guys missed opportunities like uh, McElroy, uh, Harris English had a putt. And then Scheffler has a wedge in his hand on 18 at Bay Hill. And he ends up making a bogey, which you never saw coming uh, from him. And then, of course, like he just completely blitzes the field. Uh, last, you know, this past week at the players. So just to, just goes to show you how mentally tough he is. Like any other guy would have been like, oh, maybe, you know, that, that's going to drag me down for like a month. It's like, yep, nope, I'm just going to go out and, you know, take this $4.5 million prize at, uh, at the players' championship. So, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good stretch on tour the last month. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, it's entertaining every week. And I think we've had some really good finishes. And this, this past event was really the only one that was like a, you know, it was – you could turn it off on the back nine basically and you know you put on the bracket show or college basketball or whatever like you really need to watch the the back nine no matter how how um how badly nbc wanted him to hit it in the water on 17 it, it wasn't going to happen nah i think even if he had it he had enough of a cushion at that point regardless but uh just gives you an idea how how built big a lead he had um so mike let's go back and back to you and get your thoughts on all the same scenarios um definitely the the tournament the ideas for the tour changes they don't seem to be popular from what i've been reading so far dave if you've ever seen the movie dirty dancing right uh, the, (laughs) the last scene at the end where uh you know of course there's always don't don't put baby in a corner but where the owner of the resort that's supposed to be set set at mr kellerman goes it's like you know it's all ending 
It's like the, ki- the kids, you think they want to come to a mountain anymore? No, they, they want trips to Europe. This, that. he's like, this isn't going to last. And you know what? This year on the PGA Tour, even though we have transitioned into more of these designated events, we're sort of seeing the last year of the way it's been for almost 100 years, which is you travel to regions of the country, you go around there for a while, you move to another region, and uh, it's all going to be different next year. It's not just the that we're going to have more designated events and no cuts. They are going to apparently blow up the traditional way of, you know, Hawaii to the West coast to Florida and then Texas for two stops. And then on to Augusta, that's gone. Apparently they I've heard them say, you know, that's really sort of an outdated way of doing things. And really here's what I think you have going on here. And it's really emblematic of a lot of things that we see in society today. It's that what drives everything is how to maximize revenue. And they have the sponsors at least are of the opinion. And, you know, listen, they're probably right. And just in terms purely, if you're talking about maximizing revenue, that the way to do that is to create these limited field events where you guarantee that these big names are going to be around for four days. You can guarantee that they're going to get X amount of coverage time. And it just, it makes it a, a more appealing package to sell to advertisers and the sponsors have said look if you want us to pony up the money to uh, put on these larger that's what you need to do and look if they just did the designated events with the 100 and 120 130 people i'd be fine with that i really don't like this no cut thing you want to have a handful no cut events and basically say well look We're kind of doing what we had with the WGCs. Okay, but they're going to have too many of them. And here's the problem with that is that I know they've set up a path for people to be able to qualify for these events. But when you get into these no uh, into these um, no cut events, what that does is that jacks your world ranking up because you're guaranteed to get points because of how strong those events are going to be compared to the non-designated PGA tour events. Guys are going to be playing for double or triple the points there. So it's just, it, it almost seems like it's going to create this cycle where players are going to remain at an elevated place in the game when they're, results and their play don't necessarily dictate that they should be there and then there's going to be guys that are they should be in the mix maybe they're not like the top end guys if you're good enough to be one of the top players in the world you'll still get but the guys just to cut below there are going to be stuck on these non-designated events and to me that really takes away a lot of what golf has that separates itself from other sports. I mean, we see it in the discord chat all the time, all the Rangers fans screaming about who uh, Gerard Gallant should be playing or not. Well, you know what, if you're good enough in golf to be winning or getting the results, you're going to get it. There's no coach there. There's no GM to say, I'm, I'm going to put you in minor leagues or uh, you're, you're not going to play in the top six. No, it's, you can go out there and you can prove it. And it's, we're losing some of that quality now. Now, in the law, in the short term, does it increase revenue? Sure, I'm sure it does. But in terms of where we're going with the game, is it the best thing for the game long term? I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I really think golf, the regular season, is almost it, it almost exists as a filler, right? 
you, you don't necessarily like the entertainment value a lot of times comes around from exciting finishes like we saw at the Honda Classic where no one was playing, but that ended up being a very fun couple of hours on Sunday to watch. So we're getting away from that and we're just trying to sell it based on star value. And okay, I can see it, it's, it will make more money. And I do concede that's what you need to do when a rival tour with pockets that are virtually unlimited. Although we can talk about that too, because I think Liv is kind of on shaky ground here. Well, no, I, I, mean, I, I had that on my agenda. Yeah. We're definitely, we definitely, um, but definitely do yeah, that. no, the tour's hand has been forced here and they're mm-hmm. moving to a, a, a system where they're going to better capitalize on short-term revenues. Has it made the sport better? I'm going to say no, it hasn't. Listen, it'll be exciting to see all the different tournaments next year and everything getting moved around, but will it ultimately be a better product? I, uh, I'm not convinced. Yeah, I'm not either. And the last event I can remember off the top of my head that had a um, that did not have a cut, I think it was the BMW, which is the one, it was towards the end of the year. The tour championship doesn't. It's a you know the final thirty of the year. That was the last one without a cut. Okay, but then before think, then is. I don't think the CJ Cup, the one they played at uh, Congaree, had a cut. Either. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay. that, that one doesn't have a cut. Yeah, you're right. And then the the Century Tournament, the first one in Hawaii, doesn't have a cut either. It's like the fifty guy one that uh, mm-hmm. Ron had that big comeback against Colin Morikawa. That that one doesn't have a cut either. It's just weird. Whenever I see an event like that. Like it just—it's strange to have like guys like ten over on the final round. Like, why? Why are we? What are we doing? You know, just kind of—it's you know—to add just one more point. It's—it's kind of like hard to create new stars in that in that kind of model because mm-hmm. like you're not really playing your way into it. Like the perfect example would be last year. Literally nobody in America knew who Tom Kim was on July first, and by you know the end of August, he's he's in the FedEx Cup and he's like a household name on on you know for for golf fans. And like now in this scenario. That really can't happen. Even if you win, say, one of these non-designated tournaments, you, yeah, you probably can make it into the to the big boys, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get, like, another start. So um, I, I think, you know, I, I agree with Mike. I think it, they should keep it at, like, 120. I'm fine with that and keep the cut. But, hey, you know what? They're trying to put live out of business, and I that, I think that's really their main goal. And I, I can't I can't argue with it, but I, I definitely agree that it'll, it'll probably uh, – maybe in the long run um, hurt, hurt the game, but we'll see. We will see. We can we can talk about Liv. I mean, I, I have the same instinct that Mike does. It does seem like it's on shaky ground at the moment. And I'm noticing that not a lot of people are attending these events. There has not really been the juice that I think they had hoped for. Um, but, Mike, let's give it to you. Let's get your assessment of the situation. So Liv started out with a lot of momentum. I mean, let's be honest. Uh it, it was sort of up in the air, I think, I know from the three of us talking, it's like, will this ever really get off the ground? And if it does, will it be a complete disaster? But it went from like being shaky in terms of it ever was going to happen to them then being like, listen, we're having a tournament in five weeks. And you're like, well, all right, this will be interesting. And you know what? They were ready to go. They had a good broadcast. Uh, they were prepared and and then, of course, you know, Dustin Johnson's name got announced, and that was a big coup. And then Cameron Smith goes, Joaquin Neiman goes. But you, th- it, it seemed like Liv was in a position to poach a lot of guys off of the tour after the FedEx Cup ended. And then that just didn't happen. So it, it's like their momentum completely stalled out. 
They weren't able to get a favorable TV deal. They're on the CW now two days a week, um, but they're paying CW to at, uh, to broadcast their events. And then the other thing is, is that any CW station, which is affiliated with CBS, which it is in a whole bunch of major markets, are not showing it at all because CBS has a PGA Tour contract and it you know conflicts. So the, their ratings for their first event of the year, which you figure there should be some buzz for, they were basically nothing. Uh, I, I think, you know, Mike, when he was on Fox Sports 2, probably had better ratings than Lib did <laughs> on the CW. But w- more concerning... More concerning about any of that is that in this court case, this antitrust court case, which is going on between Liv and the PGA Tour, or it's technically some of the players in the PGA Tour, is that a lot of Liv's inner workings, financials, business plans, and whatnot have leaked out in the discovery process. And what we found out, which was really illuminating, was that Liv's business model was they thought they had so much money that they would immediately flip all or most of the top players in the world and break the PGA Tour immediately. And they weren't able to do that because Rory said no, Scheffler said no, Jordan Spieth said no, Tiger Woods said no. Um, And then once that happened, they've sort of been scrambling um, to, to move on to the secondary model, which the secondary model they have, it's not the worst idea in the world to try to get up the, uh, sign all these international players like a Joaquin Neiman, like a Cam Smith. But the problem is, is that the purses that they're paying out were designed basically to immediately break the tour and to have all the top players here. Now you just have a handful of good players. And then the rest of it is just mediocre, frankly, has bits. So the product's not very good. And then you're hearing now these stories of they were paying for all the players travel. They were paying for all the caddies travel. They're like, "Eh, sorry, guys, we're not going to pay that anymore. So when you see these horrible television ratings, you see that their business plan has frankly failed. And then you're hearing uh, also stuff in the court case that they're, I mean, they tried to put a diplomatic diplomatically and say they didn't make any money they definitely lost a ton of money i don't know how many years this is going to go on before the saudis decide now granted what what makes this very difficult to evaluate is that this is not a pure economic venture um it's not necessarily it is sports washing but it's not sports washing in the sense that they're really doing it to try to make you forget about all the bad things about uh saudi arabia what i read about it was that really the whole idea is for saudi arabia to arabia to sort of make themselves central in western customs society and whatnot to elevate their profile amongst the world stage so how much money are they willing to sink on this to do that i don't know no one really knows but given that they had a plan to break the pga tour immediately and that didn't work out and then they weren't able to gain any momentum off of a i think better than expected first year at least from where we thought it was going to be at this time last year that doesn't bode well for them and there's also things going on which organizations do when they have a cash shortage so (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much longer it's going to last. I don't know if it's ever going to be economically viable. It seems like the PGA tour has secured enough funding that 
people aren't just going to be like, well, this is double or triple the money I'm gone. So I, I, I think live long term is in a lot of trouble. Very interesting. John, let's get your thoughts. Yeah, I can't disagree. I mean, you know, their big signing recently was like Brendan Steele and Danny Lee. I mean, that that's the best you can do. Like, what's what's going on here? I'll just fold up your tour. Like, um, yeah. And the the ratings, it was like it literally almost zero. It was like point zero three or something, which is just horrific um, in terms of in terms of sports. Like most every other sport uh, on TV beat it uh, the first weekend. And honestly, the, the golf isn't terrible. Like, you know, I watched it for a little bit. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're good players there. I mean, Charles Howell, like, dominated the first tournament of the year of all people. He can't win on the PGA Tour, but he, you know, he dominates on live. But um, that's besides the point. It's just it's just really odd to watch if you, if you guys have watched it. It's just, like, really just funky, like, the way they broadcast it. And it, it feels like, to me, I, I think I texted this to our buddy Andy – it's almost like watching one of those high stake poker games, you know, like they they're playing around and they're like, they're throwing bricks of cash on the table when they're playing poker. It's kind of like that. It's just like an exhibition of like rich guys just getting even richer. Basically it, it means nothing. Um, so I'm not going to say it's not like interesting to watch. Like I watch it. It's just, there's just no real appeal to it to, to me or to like a, to like a, like, what are they playing for? Like, it, it doesn't like, okay. Like the, the four aces are the best team in live. Like who cares? Like it, it's, it's just not really, the format of it is just not really an appealing, appealing kind of thing. So wait a minute, John, um, John, did you not hear that Bubba Watson decided to go to live after his son saw the four aces or the stingers and was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I mean, my God, uh, the, the only that, one yeah. who's handled this remotely well is Dustin Johnson being like, they're going to pay me more money. I mean, all the ridiculous excuses about why you joined, just say it's for the money people. Yeah. He even said that. I think he said that in the, um, and the Netflix show, he's like, yep, I'm, I'm playing for more money for less golf. So that's why I'm joining. Like, all right, sure. Like, I'll, you know, sounds good to me. If you can pay me more to work less, like, sign me up. Um, so I can't blame him for that. But, yeah, I, I think long term, if these ratings and, like, continue and they can't get any more, even, like, if they keep adding, like, the Danny Lees and the bread and steels of the world, like, the, there's nothing, the no needle is being moved um, in terms of, you know, people wanting to tune in to live golf. And let's just even say this last like three or four years, like they're going to have to keep replenishing like some of these guys who just, just like stop playing. Like, I don't know how, you know, how many, how many years like they sign contracts for, like, um, you know, that that's definitely a, a question mark, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't look good for them. Um, and, you know, they have a full schedule of tournaments this year. Like most of them are being played in the USA. Like I thought it was going to be like this international tour. I think they have one event in Australia for, you know, for Cam Smith and the rest of those guys. They have obviously they have one in Saudi Arabia. I think they have one in one, the one in London again. And other than that, I, I and maybe one in Singapore, I think looking at their schedule. But other than that, all their tournaments are in the USA. And, um, you know, I mean, kind of shame on the courses in the U.S. for for signing up for this. I mean, I know four of them are with our former president, but other than those, like, I don't know why you want to be associated with this. Um, but in any event, yeah, I, I don't know how long this is going to last. I would say, you know, I can't make a, like a, a definite prediction, but I give it like another like maybe two, two years, three years at most. And I think maybe if it, there's no traction after that, I mean, you know, I, I can't see this lasting much longer, especially if the tour the PGA tour keeps going with like the momentum that they have and kind of the changes that they've, they've been making. So yeah, I, I think live is in, 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 in some trouble. And like I said, I'll, I'll watch it. It's interesting to watch. It's just, it doesn't really, 
like move the needle or just like make you kind of be excited to watch it. I, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of there. Like just, just watching some more golf, I guess. It's just kind of, just kind of interesting, I guess, to watch some of it, but not really, you know, not really something that's like must see television basically. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, we did this idea of it not moving the needles is just making me think of the TMFR. I'll start making a league and like, streaming it on YouTube or something like that. Just sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> did either of you hear the comp? Well, uh, Ferrity, two things from Ferrity. First, okay, he said that he was glad he had gone to live because he felt like he couldn't say what was on his mind anymore. Well, you know what? Why doesn't he try criticizing the Royal family of Saudi Arabia on a live broadcast and see how that goes. <laughs> and then the, the, then the second thing is that he said, Faraday said during the, uh, the live event in Mexico, that Greg Norman was the most famous athlete in the world while he was uh, playing, which is granted, Greg Norman was extremely famous. But the problem with that is that his career like entirely overlaps with Michael Jordan. So how can you say he was the most famous athlete in the world? It's like, it's almost like, and I, I like John too, I, I do, I'll throw live on if, if it's an exciting tournament down the stretch, I'll watch it. I mean, the Mexico one was a total dud because Howell was up by five or six shots. So it's like, all right, well, what's the point of this? But, you know, it's almost like you're watching a golf tournament with almost sort of this Fox News throw into it where it's just they're saying like stuff that's clearly just pure propaganda. And it's like, does anyone actually believe this? I mean, what is news? So you get how people get wrapped up in that. But who the hell is watching golf that is actually going to believe some of the stuff that you hear on that broadcast? I don't know. It's been very interesting time to live in, folks. It really, really, truly, quite a, quite a wild, quite a wild time. So, well, I mean, interesting. You all have been dabbling in it, just watching it, perhaps even like put taking action. I know Andy, Andy mentioned that a while a while back. Oh yeah, they have an event this weekend, Dave. I mean, it, the the tour event, the field this week is a little better than when mm -hmm. they went up against the Honda Classic because there's some more star power in the the PGA event, the Valspar mm -hmm. uh, Open, but. Um, yeah, I'll watch some of the live this weekend in, in uh, I believe they're in Arizona. Cool. Yeah. Why not? I mean, you know, two, two, two golf tournaments this weekend. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Power to you. Power to you on that. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, anything else you want to get into as far as the golf? I mean, we mentioned there was a ruling on the balls, Mike, the that you brought up, or maybe John brought it up in text earlier today. Um, we can get into that, but then we could also look ahead too and see what, what's coming up. Can we talk about the Netflix show? Sorry to cut, cut oh, you yeah, off, absolutely. Dave. I, mean, I, no, I feel like that's more more interesting than the the, the ball situation <laughs> okay. being revoked. No, no offense. No, no worries. It's but, all good. Um, yeah, so <laughs> if anyone doesn't know, there's a show that just came out on Netflix called Full Swing. Um, it was done by the creators of um, the F1 series Drive to Survive, which is basically like an insider's look of the PGA Tour um you know like from behind the scenes like from the like players perspective so they did eight episodes and then each one has like a, a certain focus on a certain player um but intertwined in all of that there's different cameos from a lot of different players and i just said the show was excellent like i really enjoyed it um i i kind of wish that they would do uh some more episodes maybe they're just kind of like a trial uh trial period for this year and they'll do more more um more programming for for the next season because it's already been renewed but um some of my favorite episodes uh, i thought the the first one with jt and speed i really didn't enjoy that one i thought that was probably the worst episode the ones that i really liked were 
Um, there's an episode with Rory the, uh, chronicling McElroy and kind of the end of the year with him at the Open versus Cam Smith and then the Tour Championship and then everything like behind the scenes with him, you know, basically being the front and center going up against Liv um, and, you know, being the, the player representative. Uh, I really enjoyed that episode. Um, the episode with uh, Tony Finau um, and Colin Morikawa, that was a really good one. Um, basically how Finau is balancing, like having – uh, basically traveling the PGA tour with his wife and five kids and how he's kind of balancing that versus playing good golf. And, you know, it's it just funny how it worked out. Like they're following him for the whole year. And like, he, he goes to the stretch where, um, you know, he wins two tournaments back to back weeks. And you can see after he wins the first one, how like he's talking about how people said it was a fluke and like that motivated him even more to go win the next tournament uh, the following week. So that was a fantastic episode. And I really like the one with um, Joel Damon and he's like your typical journeyman tour player. And, uh, you know, he's talking about how like you know, he, he could have the talent to be like one of the best in the world, but just kind of mentally he's in a position where like, oh, someone's got to be the 70th best golfer in the world. Like, why not me? And it just shows you the difference between guys like that. And then guys like, you know, I talked about before, like Scheffler, who's like, you know, just so mentally tough and focused and has the, you know, the eye of the tiger, so to speak. Um, and, you know, and Damon in one of the, the clips, like he's literally getting hammered at a party and Max Homa is there. And um, Max Homa is like, yeah, dude, I got a, I got an early tea time tomorrow. I'm checking out. So you can just kind of see the difference there. Like Max Homa is like really focused on his golf and he's risen from kind of an average player to one of the best in the world. While Joel Damon is still kind of just like, you know, one of your typical top hundred, you know, tour players going to keep his card, but like, he's really never going to contend for anything major. So I thought that was just a fascinating episode. So I really enjoyed the show. Um, one criticism I did have of it is that they, they didn't really go in order of like the tournaments. So they would kind of like flip back and forth between, um, tournaments, uh, throughout the schedule and in mm -hmm. the various episodes. Um, obviously not all the tournaments were covered because like not, they weren't following all the players and frankly, not all the tournaments deserved an episode, but, <laughs> right, um, right. so that was kind of my one criticism and it kind of didn't go in order, but I thought it was a great show and, um, I'm, hopefully they, uh, follow some more players for next year and, uh, we'll get some more content out of it, but I, I really enjoyed it. So that was my uh, review of Full Swing. That's a really good uh, recommendation, and um, um, John. And it's pretty cool to hear that. And Mike, I, I know you've been watching that show too. Yeah, Dave. I, I uh, re-up with Netflix for a month just specifically so that I wow. could watch the whole uh, yeah. series. And uh, yeah, the uh, the episodes that I enjoyed the most were um, actually the one that focused on Brooks Kepka. And uh, Ian Poulter, uh, to me, that one was very eye-opening. Just to see, I mean, Brooks Kepka a few years ago, he won four majors in a three-year span. Whenever he got in the mix at, at a big event, it just seemed like he was unflappable. And, you know, he just had this attitude of, and he would say it, at, he would say it in press conferences. Look, when I head into a big event, I know that I only need to be what like 10 guys is like half of them going into the week will psych themselves out the other half then won't play well and then out of the half that aren't playing well i know that half of those guys are going to wilt and that leaves me with about 10 wow. and to see a guy who had a have we uh yeah, mike's a little frozen there <clears throat> That might be a network scenario. In the last few oh. years, talk about the my frozen here. For a bit. I think you're back though. 
Okay. Uh, where did I cut off, or could you hear me? Um, trying to remember, John. You remember where we was? Like something about uh... yeah, you were talking about Poulter, and uh, and then it kind of cut off from there. Although uh-huh. him throwing the club in the locker room and being like "fuck" after he lost his match play event, that was that was great content. I have to say, <laughs> shit got real. That's pretty cool. Um. But yeah, Mike, uh, feel free to carry out. Uh... Yeah, so I, I was saying that Kepka, yeah. that to see Kepka... Hmm, seems to have lost Mike again. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, man. Golf to such an extent. Uh-oh, Mike's dropped off. Okay. Um, let's see if we can get it. We can get Mike back in just a minute, uh, folks. Hold on a sec here. Try to get back. Um, I think Mike's trying to reestablish, but um, let me do this. Hold on, John. Let me get you back over here while we get Mike back. Okay. Oh, Mike's uh, Mike seems to be making a, making a commit. Seems to be coming back, but um, but oh, there we go. Hi, Mike. Do you do we have you? You know, I, I guess the spirits that rule us do not want me to talk about. Uh, <laughs> full swing here. It's all right, Mike. Yeah. Let me go ahead and uh, let's just uh, round out with a couple other things. That was I really loved the thoughts though. Like it was really, it was some good stuff. Hold on a sec. Let me. I know I use the term "good stuff" a lot, but <laughs> but it really was. Like it was really, it was really cool. Like I, I I really appreciate you bringing that up. I didn't even know about the show, I man. That's that's an awesome idea. Like I'd love to check that out. I remember seeing. Um, I did not see the Formula One show, but I did see one on Le Mans that was on Netflix. It was really good too. Or no, no, I think that might have been Adam. That could have been Amazon Prime Video, but that was really good. So these kind of shows are great to me. Like I, I think that's great that this exists. Um, okay, so uh, Mike, feel free to finish that. For, you know, finish out any other thoughts as far as that or anything else you had in your mind. I guess I'll try to talk about Poulter for a second to see. <laughs> see, Poulter always had this ability in like big stages, particularly in match play, the Ryder Cup, to psych himself up to a level where he could get more out of himself. And you could see in the episode that followed him, he was trying to do that in order to get his play back to a, a, a level where it needed to be. And he couldn't do it anymore. And you, you saw that boil uh, over, as John mentioned, where he's throwing the clubs in the locker room. And it really gave you an eye-opener to why he actually went to live. He had this realization that I'm done. And, you know, Kepka, what which he shouldn't be having that uh, realization, but it almost seemed like that was his thought, too. Uh, so just uh, it, it shows you how exacting and demanding the mental aspect of this game is that guys who really one of their strong suits you would say was their uh, ability to persevere under tough circumstances at least at the time they were filming that were broken from that point so that was particularly eye-opening uh see uh, i i like full swing i thought a lot of it was sort of geared towards a more casual fan which listen i understand that that's the that that's the audience they need to go to in order to you know get the promotion and the budget cost for that and whatnot but in terms of really something that gave you an eye-opening uh, experience if you're watching golf every week i really thought that uh you know the kepka polter episode just really brought out that aspect of just how grinding the mental aspect of the game is 
That's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, and it, it is kind of neat to see that up close and whatever the sport is. So that that's really neat. That is, they must have done a really good job based on what you all have been saying. So that's really well done. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, there's got to be a second season, I'm sure. So I think that, that'll probably happen at some point. But uh, it's already renewed. Dave, it was only eight episodes. They're only like, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes long. I would recommend it. Just You can just binge right through it on yeah. like a rainy day or something. So Great call. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, okay, so uh, I guess as far as golf, we can just uh, look ahead then at this point. Um, we have uh, the Corrales Punta Cana Championship, which is always a beautiful looking. I think that's in the. Isn't that, in, isn't that around? I'm trying to remember where that is. Like this, I was thinking it was around uh, Cancun, but I'm not 100% sure. But um, then you got the WGC match play, Dell Technologies, and then the Valero. That'll lead us up to the Masters. So. Um, we have actually a rare opportunity to preview the Masters in, to an extent. So, Mike, I'll give it to you first, and you feel free to look ahead and see what you got as far as uh, the near future. So I guess the really big storyline in the near future is that the uh, WGC Dell match play, that will be the last ever WGC Dell match play, and perhaps the last uh, – it's going to be the last currently scheduled match play event for uh, the PGA Tour. They are not going to have match play starting in this uh, – with the uh, new tournament structure, which is quite unfortunate, you know, in terms yeah. of just seeing something different, uh, you know, the unique gambling aspect that the match play would give you. And, you know, that was a good course too. It was quirky. It was different than really anything else you saw on the PGA Tour. So that's going by the wayside. So I guess enjoy it the best you can. Uh Going into Augusta, I think I touched on a lot of that, what the stories will be going in. Um, terms of change, yeah, I, I guess one thing to bring up is Augusta is uh, 13, which they had long, they acquired land for it uh, years ago. They are lengthening 13, so it'll play, I think, 550 yards this year. Should make the hole a little bit more interesting. Um, you won't see, like, driver nine iron, which you could do if you cut the corner right. Um, and then I will quickly discuss the USGA RNA press conference tomorrow, which listen, they haven't come out and said they're rolling the ball back, but there seems to be a lot of rumors abound on the internet now that they're going to announce a plan to roll back the ball, which essentially means just lesser distance, more spin. So that's something that's been talked about for a long time. Um, a lot of people have advocated for it for a long time, and we'll see if it happens tomorrow. Right, stay tuned, folks. All right, John, let's uh, get your thoughts about the the near future ahead. You can do, you can get into the ball scenario too if you want to. Yeah, honestly, I had no idea it was happening, so that was news to me when uh, Mike sent that in the group text. So I definitely will be paying attention to what comes of that um, tomorrow. I mean, you know, I guess the, they want to lower scores, maybe. Uh, I don't know, or stop the ball from, or stop the distance from like getting out of hand, you know, guys hitting it, you know, maybe 350 or 400 in the near future. I don't know. Um, but I guess that's kind of, kind of the goal with this, but yeah, we'll see what comes of that. Um, in terms of the upcoming schedule, I mentioned before the Valspar championship is this week. Um, it's the last tournament in the Florida swing, um, better field than, um, you know, some of the, the, the Honda classic was, um, you had s some stars staying from the, the uh, Players' Championship. Uh, J uh, Jordan Spieth's playing, Justin Thomas, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, um, and the kind of secondary players are still decent. So it it'll be a pretty good um, event to watch. Uh, I mean, I don't know if 
how much golf I'll be watching with the brackets uh, coming up this weekend, especially on Saturday and Sunday. Maybe by Sunday because you know the the way they stagger the times on uh, on the weekend, you only have like a couple like one game at a time on you know from like twelve to six. So maybe I will watch um, some golf on on Sunday. To, we'll see how the leaderboard is looking. I definitely will have a few bets in, of course. Um, but yeah, after that, yeah, the match play. I am very upset that this is going away. I mean, um, I, I'm hoping that another tournament throughout the year that is just kind of shit to begin with, like picks it up. Like it just, it's just such a cool format. And um, yeah, the Austin country club, that's a, that is a fantastic course, especially for match play too. I'm going to miss that going away, but they played hardball with the tour and they lost. I think we mentioned this on the, the last show. Um, they were like charging an exorbitant amount for their site fee. And the tour basically just said, well, you know, fuck off basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they they, they lost out. Um, so I, I hope, you know, why not like have the, the John Deere classic or the rocket mortgage classic or some shit tournament like that, like just a- adopt the match play. Like you, your tournament's going to be so much more interesting if you do that, um, because of the format, but yeah, uh, it's, it's sad that it's going away. Um, I did see the tours like having a, a co team event, like a women's LPGA PGA event, like in December, like they're already promoting that Ricky Fowler is partnering with someone on the LPGA. They're already, that's already a new thing that's happening. So, I mean, the tour is all about having these different formats. Like one tournament should pick up this match, this match play tournament. I, I'll be disappointed if it's not back um, next year or in the, in the future. So we'll see. But yeah, after that, we'll have the uh, Texas open um, again, it'll probably be not a great field. Although in the, in the past few years, we've seen some, some uh, bigger names play that as like kind of a prep for the major um, and then, of course, uh, Augusta will be here. We kind of touched on the storylines. It'll be, it'll be great, like it always is. Um, and you know, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic of like all these live golfers coming back. Like I said, Cameron Smith, and you know, I guess Dustin Johnson. You can kind of still consider him a contender. Um, Joaquin Neiman, like how how in how you know how is their game going to be in shape? Basically, playing two times since um january i know they could have they played like here and there like throughout the world but it's definitely not the same as being on the pga tour um like like you know ron and mcelroy and scheffler so that'll be interesting to see how those guys do and how that's reflected in kind of the the betting market but yeah we're only a few weeks away from augusta babe and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun times yeah it's really coming up like we're like half about half a month away actually Maybe maybe three three weeks at the most. So I'm I'm, I'm into it. Let's do that. Should be and it's a great you know the transition from the final four into the Masters. It's always a great tradition every year, and I think that'll continue for the foreseeable future. So it's kind of it's very neat to see it all coming back. Um, so Mike, uh, I'll give it to you for final thoughts as the golf as far as a golf scenario, but. This has just been great to do. I mean, we, John, this is a great call, like just doing this every month. Like even when there are not majors, I think this is going to be pretty cool to, to keep doing every month. So, um, Mike, I'll give it to you one last time and then uh, we'll say goodnight for the, for the, for the moment. Well, I, I don't have much more to add about uh, golf this evening, but since I know that you will be transitioning to the NCAA tournament, I guess I will uh, give you my quick thoughts on Rutgers, which has gotten a lot of news about the probably the most notable snub. Yeah, now, of course, listen, it's disappointing. Uh, I don't have an NCAA tournament game to look forward to like I have for the past few years. Um, but I, I can't get completely bent out of shape about this. I mean, Rutgers had some great wins early on, but after uh Malt Mag got hurt, they were not very good. And 
well, listen, when it comes down to it, when you lose to the two worst teams in the Big Ten down the stretch, if they hadn't have done that, hadn't blown a, a lead against Minnesota, they're in. So, look, in terms of their net ranking, in terms of quality wins, do they deserve to be in based on that? Sure, but I can't kill a selection committee for looking at a team as constituted and trying to think, okay, who are the best 68 teams? Well, I mean – you know, the best teams outside of the automatic qualifiers from the lower conference. So disappointing, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to throw a tantrum like this is the biggest injustice in the history of sports. They yeah, were it, very good down the stretch, and they paid the price, unfortunately. And, the, you know, what really killed them, too, was they had some injury problems early in the year, so they weren't able to bank any good non-conference wins out of that. And, yeah, bit them in the rear end in the end. But I guess I have a uh, <laughs> NIT game against Hofstra to look forward to. So. Well, it's a very good game. I mean, Hofstra's pretty good. So, like, you know. <laughs> but, Mike, that's been great to have you back. Uh, it, thank you so much for breaking all that down with us. Um, you know, it's so much going on in golf, and, and you know, we'll have more to talk about in the, in the months ahead. So uh, all the best, my friend, and uh, and take care. Thanks again for doing this with us. Take care, guys. All right, all right John. All right, Mike. Well, uh, let's go ahead and transition this quickly. I do want to th- let's welcome in the raid. Welcome Raiders. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave. Davy also I mean, my my regular my my or you can know me by my 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 um my IRL name Dave Medina. But uh, it's nice to see you all here, Brad Lauren Ipson, Thank you so much for the raid tonight. How was your stream? Hope you're doing well out there, folks. In our chat, make sure to give our friend Brad Lauren Ipson a follow, who streams a really cool a really cool drinking bird stream. And uh, it's everything is everything it says it sounds. It's pretty good stuff. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for the 15 month resub. That jump plus playlist tonight. Oh yeah, oh that's great. Yeah, I was listening to that too. The the jump playlist, Brad. That's pretty cool. That's a great playlist. Thank you so much for sending me a copy of that too. So folks, yeah, give our friend Brad a follow. Like great music, great great ideas for music and everything else. Um, you've just joined us as we were about to start our NCAA tournament preview. So we're going to do that next with our good friend, John in Connecticut, who's known for a very long time, like way well before we, we, we even came to Twitch. But uh, um, and we every year we, we do we do it. We do a preview of the NCAA should be um, should be a good time. So like uh, so, John, you know, we're talking about Rutgers. Mike was talking about Rutgers to close. Rutgers did have their chances. I, I think it's a bummer that they lost that game in the Big Ten tournament. Like they had the lead and everything, and I mean that one really—they really let that one get away. But uh, you know, you talk about first four and first four out. A lot of notable snubs. I don't think I could really complain about a lot of it. Um, I think Mike was very fair in his assessment of Rutgers. I think that was an extremely balanced point. But, uh, you know, if you want to start on that, like, what did you think about your first four and first four out? Yeah, I mean, the bubble is it's, gets weaker and weaker every year. So you really can't make like a, you know, oh, my God, like, why is this team not in? Like, it's such a travesty. Like, it, you know, it's just kind of the committee sets a criteria that they're looking for. And that's kind of what they they base their selections off of. And unfortunately, Rutgers was was on the um, you know, the first four out, uh, that loss to Minnesota really hurt them. And they, they blew that game late too. And, you know, Minnesota's obviously one of the worst teams in the, in the, uh, power five level. I mean, they had a horrible year and Rutgers just completely blew that against them. So, you know, you, you can't be too, um, too upset about them being left out. I know they had a few good wins. I know they beat Purdue and some of the other top teams in the big 10, but just way too many losses and too many bad losses. 
Um, same with Oklahoma State. I mean, they play in the Big 12, who's you know, arguably the best conference in the country, but they had what, 15 losses and they're like one in seven against the top, um, you know, like 70 teams or something. And it's like, how many times you get a chance to prove yourself that you're one of the best teams and you can't do it. So that's kind of why they were um, left off, even though they did have some nice wins in the Big 12, but just just way too many losses. Um, I, it was interesting to see that North Carolina was the first one of the first four out and um, they weren't really on anyone's radar once they lost in the ACC tournament. I think maybe their brand name kind of. I was going to say that, that's kind of generous to even be in the first four out. Like they did yeah, not look exactly. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they yeah. had what, one, one quad, one win uh, all year. If you go by those, those metrics and the ACC as a whole was really down too. Uh, I, I, honestly, I'm surprised that NC state got in and they are not even like in the playing game. Like they're safely in the bracket as the 11 seed. And then Pitt got the, uh, the plans in the ACC. So um, that was kind of interesting. And then I think Nevada, uh, that was that could have gone either way. Like you usually could have swapped Nevada with Rutgers or Oklahoma State, but I think the committee has been trying to give some of the, the mid majors more, um, you know, kind of giving them one of those last spots. They've done that in recent years, which I give them credit for. Like we've we've been on here on this show before, bitching of how you know they give it to the the, the mediocre mid major team, uh, me, mediocre major conference teams. And um, and not the mid majors, and, and they didn't do it this time, and they haven't been for the, for some of these playing games. So I think um, that was a little bit uh, um, surprising to see Nevada in. But other than that, I mean, I think you know you really there can't really be a gripe in terms of like who got in and, and who got out. Um, you know, they're they're all like I said, the last like four to eight teams, they're all fairly similar, and you just kind of parse they parse through and pick the teams that they want based on the criteria. So I think some of the seeding was, was worse than, um, than who was left in and out and some of the matchups, but we'll, we'll get to that in a bit, I guess. Well, that is actually a great segue. That's a big topic. Um, you know, first off, I, I definitely thought that UCLA had no one number one secure, regardless of what happened that game. That really surprised me. Like, I'm like, and then two, why are you putting Kansas and UCLA in the same like West Regional? Like those were like the two best teams all year. Like, why are they getting the toughest bracket? Like it, it just that's we can just start with that. Like and then I'll let you carry on with other seeding scenarios. Yeah, I guess they were showing um, like they ranked the teams one to sixty-eight, the committee, and then they have to like bracket them from there because of like all the various you know, bracket rules, like you can't have two teams from the same conference playing in the next round. You can't have like a rematch. You can't have all these different um, scenarios. And then you have to place the teams like, uh, the, you know, the top seeds kind of in a geographical favorable position. Um, like, you know, how uh, Alabama is playing in Birmingham, for example, and they're in their pods. So they have to consider all these different scenarios when they do the brackets. So, um, but if you look at this team seeded one to 68, the West region has like, you know, like all of like the top of the top, like the top one seed, the top two seed, like the, the second three seed, the second four seed. So like they're, they're uh, when you sum up their um, rankings, it's much higher than any of the other regions. And then the East is the worst, which isn't surprising when you look at the teams that are there. So um, yeah, I, I thought the West is, you could make a case for like five or six of those teams. That, that bracket is absolutely just loaded. Um, and then if you're in the, the Midwest bracket, um, yeah, I don't understand. And they, they, they talked about this on the show. Like, why did Houston go ahead of Kansas for 
the, the one seed. Like it should be Houston in the West. And, and again, it could have something to do with these, you know, bracketing rules and, and um, you know, that they had to follow. But the amount of like quad one, like if you go by the metrics, like quad one wins that Kansas had compared to Houston, it's it's not even close. And I know, and they both lost in their conference tournament finals. Houston had an injury to their uh, point guard Sasser. So, you know, we don't know his, his status. So I just thought that was very surprising to have um, Houston ahead of Kansas on the, on the one uh, seed line. I thought those should have been flipped. Um, a few other seeds that I really not, you know, wasn't really sure about, like, why is, why is Virginia a four seed? Like I, I wasn't really understanding that. Um, you know, why is, uh, where's the, there's another one here. Um, yeah, the, the game between Memphis and FAU, that's another thing that gets me is they they match up these mid-major teams against each other. And they say, oh, it's random, it's random. Like, no, it's not. Like, this happens every single year. Like, if any of those teams, if either Memphis or FAU weren't playing each other, I would almost consider either of them to go to, like, the Final Four because that East region is pretty wide open. But since they're playing each other, you can't really make that calculation because the game could go either way. And then, you're you know, you're out on your first – your first try. So um, I hate how they see that those two teams um, again, San Diego state and Charleston, two mid majors playing against each other. Um, I really don't, don't understand that. Um, I'm not sure why Xavier is a three seed. Um, I really, I don't know. I, I think they should have been maybe like a five. Like I got not really understanding that one either. Um, you know, Auburn is a nine seed and they get to play in Birmingham in that same pod yeah, that's uh, that Alabama is playing. In. I, I, yeah, I'm not yeah. really sure about that. Um, I agree with your point on UCLA. Like they, they could have been a one seed. I mean, okay. They, they lost like all their big men like in the PAC 12 tournament and they still almost beat Arizona. They really should have beaten Arizona. I mean, that just goes to show you, I wish Andy was here so you could, you could uh, uh, rant on how like, soft and fraudulent Arizona is. He's not a fan of them this year. He's been following <laughs> his, his Twitter. But, um, yeah, I mean, UCLA, it was extremely – to me, even like without those guards and, like, Arizona – I'm sorry, without their big men, and Arizona has two of the the, the, the uh, duo of best big men in the country and Tubelis and Balo, and UCLA was hanging with them the entire game, and they really should have won. It was like they almost got, they almost got better after – uh, Jalen Clark uh, got hurt. I know maybe that's not going to be the case, you know, over the course of a six game, you know, tournament here, but, you know, I thought, you know, UCLA could, could have gotten a one seed. Um, but, you know, that's how it goes. Like some of the, and, I, and again, like I think they, they have to make some of these changes just to play within the, the, the bracket rules and constrictions they have. But um, I thought some of this seeding was, was pretty messed up. I don't know what other thoughts that you had on, on some of these things. No, you hit a lot of the points. Like it's just interesting to see that, you know, again, like the, you're talking about the two teams that I thought were the most consistent, most balanced teams the entire season. They, and if you know, for the two of us, you know, that means like they're, they're very, very consistent where it counts to UCLA was one of the best covered teams all year, all year. It didn't matter home road, whatever they were, they were great at covering the spread everywhere. And their defense was very good. Like I saw them in person twice they dominated. They, well, they, they dominated one game. They were actually they. It was a little bit closer against Washington, but they they got it. They have just been a very very good team. They can execute when in in um, in crunch time. Um, I mean that just seemed un, just it seemed unfair. I'm not even a fan of the team, and it just seemed unfair 
that a buzzer beater basically changes the difference between you getting a two seed and a one seed. It just, it just, I don't know, you know. And chances are good. Like I mean, certainly I don't have a problem with them being a, like a higher number, overall number one seed, but that just that bothered me. Like, why didn't you make Houston like number two? Houston struggled towards during much of that uh, AAC tournament. Like, if you saw what they were doing against uh, what was it, Tulane? The one team that was they got like, blown out in the final against Memphis. Yeah. Exactly. Memphis absolutely killed them. It was never a game. Like, like after like the first like five minutes. Yes, that's right. Like they, they were never in that game. It's you know, I know I know Houston ranks like very well in terms of like the metrics and whatnot. And I and I can't, you know, you can't argue it. I mean, they're a really, really good team, but just in terms of the resume and like who they played just in their conference, it's not gonna it doesn't add up to the Big Twelve or the Pac twelve at all in the AAC. Yeah. The good news for Houston is, man, what a conference the Big Twelve is gonna be when they join for basketball. Man, that's gonna be something. Yeah, that's gonna be a nice. Yeah, that's true. That's gonna be a nice transition for uh, for the Cougars. Yeah, that's good. That's pretty cool to see. Um, and then the Big Twelve, as you mentioned, you know, you know, the Big Twelve is losing a lot in football, but in basketball, that is gonna be some conference. That's gonna be a great time. That's gonna be a great place. Yeah, adding those environments. So you add, yeah. uh, you know, you add uh, Houston, Cincinnati. You, you know, when Mick Cronin was there, I mean, that was a really good program. Yep. So they they have they have the potential. And then BYU is just an insane environment to, you know, like a home court advantage and like, you know, teams making that travel, that's going to be a real tough, tough trip for uh, for these big 12 teams. And then uh, poor UCF with the doormat of the conference for a little bit <laughs> in basketball, but Hey, you know what? They didn't bring them along for basketball. So right. that's okay. That's all right. It's all right. Well, let's go, let's go look at this. So we've got the regions. We mentioned where everybody is. Um, I'll go show everybody on the screen where everything is. So if you're watching this uh, program on YouTube, you can see for yourself what, where everything is seated as we go through each regional. So let's begin with the with the South. And yeah, Bama got Bama caught fire at the end of the season. You got to give them a lot of credit for that. Like I, I could, I could get on them. I'd be like, well, you know, they were really weren't themselves for for a couple for about a week or so because of the uh, the Brandon Miller situation with the gun and like that was that was just it's a little. There's a lot to there's a lot to unpack with that. Let's just say yeah, there's a lot to digest there. Let's just <laughs> yeah. say like Nate Oates made some comments that's like, dude, shut your mouth. Right. Like, you sound it's, like a jackass. Exactly. You know, it, like come on. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, welcome in. What's going on? It's good to see you, Jamie. Let's give me give Jamie a shout out as well. And Jason with a comment earlier. We were talking about people complaining. We were talking about the last four in first four out. Jason says, Don't tell me what I can and can't do. I can complain all about who got in, who didn't make it. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I love that comment. Um, but Jamie, welcome. We got we got opinions for you, my friend. We are excited to share that with you, folks. Go for our friend Jamie a follow too. Um, so here we are in the South, and it's for those of you who don't follow college basketball closely. Um, we can tell you that yeah, Spam has definitely got a lot of ceiling. Um, their defense is pretty good, but they ride that three pointer a lot. So. And, and the other thing about it is, you know, Braille Miller, say, you know, whatever his situation is, is definitely a really, really big prospect. Like, he's like a top, he's like going to be like a top five pick in the NBA draft. You know, he's really good. So this could be a big tournament for, for Miller. Um, so I would say that it's it's fair to say that that uh, Bam is the team to beat. I love Andy's point about Arizona. There's Arizona right there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm the, I that big on them either. Their defense is not doing it for me. Um, UCSB give props to our, our boys at UCSB. Like I, I, I'm like a pseudo UCSB fan, so big, big, big time props to the UCSB. Oh, making, 
Gaucho's in the tournament again. Uh, Baylor is interesting. I I think Baylor is pretty solid. I mean, I I do like I do like Baylor. Obviously, they have a good coach and everything. They won the title not that long ago. So you know, a lot of respect to Baylor, but I don't have the same complete same vibes. Um, you look at Charleston, San Diego State. I mean, that it's gonna be a battle. It's gonna be a battle. I have to look at what the spread is for that game. But gosh, you know, you saw what happened with the San Diego State last year. You think I'm trusted in this year? No way. Like, <laughs> so let's get your well, thoughts. That's the thing with the Mount. I was gonna say it's Mountain West. They were 0 and 4 last year. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you dare trust them again? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Utah State. Same scenario. Like, I think of the two. I think I'd rather take Missouri here. And uh, and then Virginia is kind of interesting here with against Furman. Now I remember Virginia got upset. Is it, is it Virginia? Who? Abilene Christian beat somebody last year. I'm trying to remember uh, who. They beat Abilene Christian beat Texas a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, it's Texas. There you go. But Virginia obviously had the biggest choke in the history of the tournament, losing as the one seed to UMBC a few years back. So yeah. the only one seed to ever lose to a 16. Yep. So they'll never live that down. I mean, granted, they won the title next year, which kind of kind of takes away from it. But no one will ever forget them losing uh, as a one seed. <laughs> Jason L. Rush, any thoughts on the Savannah Banana? First of all, that is the most stylish team in any regional anywhere. I'll tell you, the Savannah Bananas get it done with with the Duds. Like it's they are great. They are a great looking team. Uh, <laughs> so that's my thoughts on the Savannah Bananas. I'm unfortunately they did not make it into the field of sixty four or even the first four, but. Perhaps they, this right can be adjusted next year, uh, and they can play a little bit better. Hopefully that'll be the case. But yeah, but John, you're right. And, and then looking at Maryland, West Virginia, that that's gonna be a tough one for me to evaluate. I mean, I think West Virginia is pretty good, but I, I don't know. It really could go either way for me. What do you think? Yeah, I think just because of the pure the conference strength, I think West Virginia is probably the play and the coaching edge mm-hmm. for Bob Huggins. And Maryland has has been really poor away from home. Like all their biggest wins were at home. Right. Um, so I think I'll I'll go with West Virginia in that matchup. Yeah. Uh, I, I think i I would lean exactly the same way. Yeah, definitely. Um Creighton NC State. I, God, like you said, I don't know. Creighton, NC State's a little fortunate to even be this far in the tournament as it is. So I think I'd take Creighton. Yeah, I would agree. But it's just, it's one of those weird things where, like, the team that's like, oh, you shouldn't be in, you shouldn't be in. Like, they just lost by 30 points to Clemson. They'll come out and have, like, the, the game of their life against Creighton. Like, I could easily see that happen, even though on paper, like, Creighton should win. So um, I got I to think about that one a little bit. But yeah, the, 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 pure like basketball play would be Creighton, but like all the kind of intangibles that you kind of think about, maybe uh, NC state is, is in the mix for a win. But again, like the ACC is pretty weak. That's a conference that I'm going to be looking to, to fade for the most part. Yep. And then you look at Bama. So this, I mean, I mean, just looking at it from a distance, it does seem like this is Bama's regional to lose. Um, similar to Andy. I'm not big on Arizona either. I definitely could see Baylor making it. But I need to kind of see that on the court first a little bit. You know, first, can they survive UCSB? I think they'll beat UCSB, sorry to say. But they're just so much bigger. Like, you know, that's going to be – they'll have a physical advantage at every position. Um, but after that, it's, it, it, I, I think Bama can win this, but you will, we'll see. We'll see. I cannot remember if they made the Final Four recently with under the Nate Oates era. I do not think they did. But they did come pretty no. close. 
No, I think they made it to maybe the Sweet 16 last year. I have to go back and look, but yeah, they haven't come close to the Final Four. But I agree with you. I think they got a pretty favorable draw. I, I agree. Like Arizona is pretty talented, but they're just way, way too streaky for me. Um, you know, they, you know, they look like an all-world team, and then the next minute they're just they're losing to like you know, uh, you, you know, Utah or, or Colorado or something. It's just, I mean, the Pac-12 isn't great. And, you know, they, they, they blew some of these games. Um, you know, they, like I said, they, they have those two great big men. Um, I do think it'll probably come down to Alabama and Arizona in this region. Um, Baylor's defense is a real concern um, that, you know, that, that kind of showed itself down the stretch and they were getting whipped by Iowa state in two meetings and Iowa state can't score whatsoever. Um, they're a very poor shooting team and they had their way with Baylor. Uh, Baylor does have some great guard play, which can carry you um, in the tournament. But um, I think it'll probably come down to to Arizona and Alabama for the right to go to the final four. Um, yeah. Bama's defense is just fantastic. And then you add that in with their streaky three point shooting. You saw it in the sec tournament, they kind of lost their mojo for a little bit for a couple of weeks when that whole Miller situation was, you know, the news first broke and then you get the responses to it and, you know, the reactions. And then, you know, it was just kind of seeped into their on-court play and they were just really struggling, but they sure found it in, um, in Nashville. Like they were just draining threes. Like the energy was back. Like they were really impressive. So uh, this is definitely their, their region to lose. Um, and I, they'll, they'll probably, I would say they'll probably make it out of it. I, I'm not a fan. I, I'm not going to trust Arizona. Um, but I think Virginia is probably going to lose in round one. I think Furman is a is a good matchup for them. Um, Virginia just can't score. Like, yeah. you can't. I know they have a great defense, but when you can't score, like you really can't <laughs> win. Like that 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 game against Duke. I mean, they held Duke to what like fifty five points, and they they still had no chance in the ACC title game. I mean, I, I know they did have an injury. One of their um, big men who can shoot threes didn't play, and that's a you know that was a concern. But they they just can't generate enough offense, and I think Furman is a, is a pretty. Um, experienced veteran team, um, and I think I think they can get picked off there. Uh, Charleston and San Diego State again, the two mid majors matching up against each other. I don't like that, but it's a really a good contrast of styles. Like San Diego State has just a fantastic defense. We see it year after year. They just kind of smother teams. Um, poor with shooting, but they want to really slow down the pace, which is the complete opposite of Charleston, who's kind of like a run and gun team. But I think San Diego State. I think this is a matchup that the Mountain West can can get a W in like if they can't win this game, like just give up all hope on the conference. Um, because I think they're just going to be way too athletic um, for, for Charleston. And I, I think they'll get this win. And then the other one here with Utah state and Missouri, I mean, pick them. I think both, both teams um, really poor defending the three point line. And that's what each of these teams want to do. So I maybe the over might be a good bet for this. Uh, and they'll just be jacking up threes. And then who's ever kind of maybe has the ball at the end of the game and can make a shot is going to win. I honestly, I don't know who to pick for the, for the bracket in this one, but yeah, it's an interesting region. Um, like I said, I, it's probably Alabama's to lose for sure. Uh, they definitely got a good draw in this sense. Like if they were in the West, that'd be a whole different story, but I think this is a good, a good region for them. Yeah, this is uh this definitely, I, I think it's a good setup. Absolutely. And um yeah, I, thanks for bringing all that down. That's really that's really well that's really well put together. Now let's go to the East and in the East. Um, oh, for those of you joining us late, John in Connecticut is my longtime friend. We are breaking down the NCAA tournament. We're previewing the entire field of sixty four. Um, it doesn't really show us who's in the first four. We can get into that a little bit later and kind of cover that as well. 
But um, but from the field of 64, we now go to the East, where Purdue is the number one seed, which, again, oh, man, every single time I, I see them play, Purdue's, like, barely hanging on. And like, look, look, listen. I did say that they were the team to beat, like, three months ago. I've been... I can be safely funhoused in that opinion because they have played, like, crap for, like, the last month. Like, they do not look great. They do not look good at all. Every team... I mean... Even like yesterday when they played against Penn State, like they were cruising and then suddenly they barely win by, it felt like two points, three points, four points. That was just crazy. Um, Duke somehow gets in and, you know, they've really picked it up at the end of the year. So I, I think they could be a pretty solid team, actually. All their players are getting healthy and everything. Looks good. You always have to watch out for Tennessee, but for the for different reasons than you would think. Because like they are always prone to the g- gagging up in a big spot. <laughs> um... Tough for me to really have to make a call on Kentucky Providence here. Um, I couldn't tell you. I think I like I tend to pr- trust Providence more. Um, and then USC, also a great defensive team. But you can say it's a weird team. I, I don't know. John, I'll let you take the torch on that one. I, I couldn't tell you. I probably would take USC out of the two. But I, I again, it, it really could go either way. Um, K-State's obviously in that solid Big t- Big 12. So we'll, we'll certainly give them some. So we'll certainly give them some more street credits over that. Mark Vermont's always a fun team to watch. I don't know if it's necessarily great. And then Marquette, um, they do what they do. Very ha- very fast-paced team. So uh, your thoughts in the East, John? Yeah, this is definitely the weakest of the brackets yeah. that we talked about before. Um, yeah, Purdue, they, I mean, they got the big guy, Zach Eady. Like, he's he's pretty much a, he's a force to be reckoned with for sure. Like, he really can't be stopped. But, you know, the problem is, you know, you get him into foul trouble or – you know, if, like they do the, the uh, you know, they do the in and out game where they throw it into him and they kick out to their shooters. Like if their shots aren't falling, like, you know, they, they, they've definitely just kind of pulled it, pulled it out of their butts for some of these games at the end right. of the day end. And they just, you know, it, it, it's going to bite them here. One of these times, um, they're definitely the weakest of the four one seeds. Uh, the big 10, I think was kind of down as a whole. Um, so, you know, and the big 10 traditionally really never does that well, or at least recently in, in the tournament. So yeah, they're definitely ripe to be picked off. Uh, I think, like I said before, the, the Memphis Florida Atlantic game, like that is like the toughest game for me to pick here because the winner easily could beat Purdue and go to the final four end up going, you know, a long way. Like I said, maybe the final four, but, um, I don't know who to go with in this game. I mean, Memphis incredibly athletic team, like, you know, they just, destroyed Houston, who's one of the best teams in the country, and they're peaking at the right time. But Florida Atlantic is is a very athletic team themselves, and they have tons of shooters. They play at a really fast pace. Um, they just dominated all year long in um, the Conference USA, which is a pretty underrated league. I mean, usually if you go back the last few years, like Conference USA has won a game, I, I feel like, in almost every NCAA tournament in recent memory. I remember you know, North Texas beat Purdue one year. Um, UAB beat Iowa State. Um, uh, there's a, uh, another one that I, I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Like, but I know like the last three or four years, like Conference USA has been pretty strong. So this FAU team is, is really good. And it's going to be tough. Like, I don't know who to go with in that game. That's going to be like one of my last picks that I make. But um, as for the rest of the region, this really sets up well for Duke. And you know, they're going to be like a trendy pick here to get to the Final Four. Um, you know, it was kind of a shaky start, but – I have to give credit to John Shire. I mean, what a great job he's done in his first year, um, you know, to, to take the torch from coach K and 
end up winning the ACC tournament and coming in here as a five seed. And, you know, they haven't had their full complement of players all year. Um, I believe Whitehead was hurt for a while and now he's back and they were like, they had like a, a 17 and one record or something like that when they had. Oh, you full, said that too. Yeah. I was going to mention that set. Yeah. Yeah. They're full team on hand and that's where they are now. And they're really peaking at the right time. So I can see Duke being a popular pick to get out of this region um, and, and get to the, and get to the final four. Um, yeah, Tennessee, like not only is it's the Rick Barnes factor in March, but they're they're down their point guard Ziegler had an ACL injury, so he's out. Um, and they just, you know, they have stretches again where they just kind of struggle to score sometimes. I mean, their defense is great, but um, you know, you really can't trust that kind of team. I they should be able to get by Louisiana, although you never know um with, <laughs> with Tennessee. Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked to see if if they didn't lose us. It's certainly worth a wager with the spread for sure with Louisiana. That's I think that'd so. Be my play. If it's double, that'd be my play. I'm gonna go look at that, that game. I think the spread is like ten. I'll, okay, I'll probably okay. take the plus. I'll take it. I'll 10, probably take yeah. the plus ten. Yeah. yeah, I'll go with the plus ten. But I think Duke will, will probably beat them. But see, Duke has a tough game themselves. I mean, yeah. Oral Roberts. We remember their their run from a couple of years ago to the Sweet Sixteen. Uh, Max Aismas from that team is is still there, and they have a bunch of other shooters and again they play at a really fast pace and they they could their shots are falling they easily they could beat duke so you know all these people on duke like they, they could be gone in, in round one that's why this tournament is so great like there wasn't a lot of um bid stealers this year especially in the mid-major conferences so you're having like a lot of really solid mid-major teams in this field which makes for some great matchups um and then if you look at the bottom of the region i i, I don't know what to make of marquette like they're a really good team and they've clearly proven it it's just I really don't know what to make of them. They were picked like ninth in the big East to start the year. And they ended up winning the whole thing. Like Shaka smarts, a really good coach. I mean, remember him from his, his run at VCU, taking them to the final four, um, you know, that kind of pressure, uh, high pressure style of play, like uh, full court pressure is what I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, they have as good as chances anyone here to make it out. I mean, they've clearly proven themselves to be one of the better teams in, in the country. Um, you know, but again, like I think, I think, I think Duke might be the play here. And I, I hate to say that, you know, I'm not like a huge Duke guy, but I just, they're just kind of staring at you there as the five seed. They just need to get by Oral Roberts. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be a tough game. I think the spread's only like five or six on that one. So it just kind of sh- shows you what, how much respect that Oral Roberts is getting. Um, yeah. And you mentioned USC, Michigan State. I'll probably go with uh, USC there. I'm just not a fan of some of these Big Ten teams. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Izzo does get a lot of credit for what he's done in March, but he's also had some pretty bad flameouts too. So <laughs> I'll, I'll probably go with I'll probably go with USC just for like kind of a mini upset. And then you know K- Kentucky is really talented. I mean, you can't doubt you know you can't discount them. They maybe making a Final Four run. I mean, they always have the players there. It's just you know they seem to get picked off. It seems like remember St. Peter's last year got them. Like Cal Perry seems to have. Um, you, some some issues in these games recently. Uh, the good news for them is Providence really struggled down the stretch, True. Um, and that that could be that could be problematic for them. Um, you know, we do like the, the Providence coach Cooley, but th- that could be a, that could be a tough matchup. But it, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Providence won either if they just kind of rallied for for this for this one game, just because Kentucky is, is struggled sometimes. But yeah, so this is a very interesting region. I could see a number of teams coming out of this, but I think. At the end of the day, I'll I'll probably end up going with um, with Duke. I, I mentioned Kansas State. I mean, they're another they're a solid 
solid Big 12 team for sure. Um, Jerome Tang's first year, again, another team not really picked to do much of anything, and here they are as a three-seed in the tournament. But they're another team very, very dependent on their home court advantage. So we'll see what they do when they get into kind of these neutral sites. So I, I don't know if I can trust them um, you know, winning so many games on a neutral neutral court. But, um, yeah, this is definitely the weakest region. And if, you know, I had to pick here, I'll, I'll probably – I'll probably stick with Duke, but man, it's really tempting to go with like a big upset here, like yeah. know, Memphis or or Florida Atlantic to 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 really make some noise here. Yeah, you're absolutely you're you're spot on with it. That really the only thing you, any anyone can really have a consensus is, is that yeah, Purdue's not going to get there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and Tennessee's not it's not making it past the first weekend. Right, right. It. <laughs> so with that in, with that all in the, with that all set up, let's go to the Midwest. And uh, next we have um, Houston, which again, we we both agree they are fortunate to get this one seed. But uh, credit to them. There they are. They're no, they're number one. Texas is number two. Um, now Texas had a strange year because their coach got fired in the middle of it because of domestic abuse. I'm presuming at this point allegations or maybe even actual evidence. They had to get an interim. They finished strong. I mean, t- the talent on the court is certainly very good. It's it's just a strange team for me to evaluate at this point. I couldn't even. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, certainly you think they'd have enough to get out of the first weekend. Um, let me just could do a quick few hit quick hitters on this. So you're talking about a lot of teams that we don't trust in the Big Ten. Here's the one team I do trust. Penn State has been one of my favorite teams in that conference. They've been very very good at staying in games. They've covered a lot of. Sp- I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's always a return comes around to betting at some point, but. They've been interesting. Like they, they haven't won a lot of these games, but they stayed in almost all of them. So this is going to be an interesting matchup between them and Pet and M. I mean, who knows? A and M might be too much for them. Like it's hard to say. I mean, obviously you're not going to go by yesterday. A and M was completely destroyed by by Bama yesterday. But I'm not going to go with that. Here comes where some of the excitement could happen. Indiana, number one. Okay, I just don't trust these guys at all. Like you take them away from their home court. I'm with you, Dave. Right. Like, not feeling them. I'm not feeling Iowa. Are you kidding me? And um, <laughs> and then Xavier, Sean Miller in a big spot is not my jam. I don't. I don't get enjoy Sean Miller in a big spot. So let's get your thoughts on the Midwest. Yeah, this is this is going to be a good one. Um, I think you could we could see a scenario here where we have the rare twelve versus thirteen matchup in the second <laughs> round. I think I think Kent State could e- could easily beat Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, if you followed the the season, Kent State lost to Houston by like four points in the in December, and then they went to Gonzaga and they were in that game with like ten minutes left. They Kent State is a really good team from the MAC. Um, they play defense. They can you know they can spread the floor and shoot. Uh, they were really really impressive. I watched their game on Saturday night against Toledo. I could not have been more impressed with Kent State. And yeah, I, I don't trust this Indiana team. I know they have a superstar with uh, Trace Jackson Davis, but. I think Kent State can can easily win this game. Um, you know, the, the spread is like a 13-4 game, and the spread is like four points. Like, I mean, you know, it's like a almost a pick on a neutral floor. You know, yeah. a couple possession games. So uh, I'm I'm on Kent State, and then Miami uh, and Drake. Like Drake is the most experienced team in college basketball. They're showing a you know the their their lineup, and their the youngest guy was like 23. Like it was un, unbelievable wow. the experience that this team has. And um, you know they missed out last year in the NBC uh, Missouri Valley Conference Final, and they they got redemption this year. And they're just on a tear. Um, 
can shoot with the best of them. Uh, Miami's defense is is really struggling, and they have an injury concern with one of their big men. I know Miami's guards are really good with um, uh, oh shit, I forgot the guy's name, Pack, and uh, the other guy there, uh, drawing a blank on his name. But they they have some really good guards. Um, but so they'll be able to score too on Drake. But I, I think Drake is is a good good upset pick here. So I think we could see the the rare twelve versus thirteen in the second round. And then uh, you know whoever you like from there to to go on to the next uh, to the next phase. Um, yes, like I mentioned before, like I'm not sure really sure why Xavier is a three seed, like why they're getting so much respect, but not a huge not a huge fan of them. Like they they also have an injury concern. Their center Fremantle has been hurt. We have to check on his status. And they kind of exited the Big East tournament uh, quietly against Marquette uh, in the final. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Dave, your Texas, uh, Texas A&M Penn State game, interesting clash of styles. Like yeah. Penn State, you know, they uh, kind of sh- they really shoot well. Um, their their coach there has done a really nice job. Um, you don't see Penn State really get to the tournament too often. And then A&M is just kind of plays like a really bruising style of play, just really trying to get to the rim and. Uh, you know, make foul shots and get rebounds is basically like how they, how they win games. Like they're not really a good shooting team. Um, but I think you can probably get away with that maybe against Penn state, who's just kind of relying on the three point line. But yeah, that's a, that's kind of a fascinating, you know, I'm not really sure what to, where to go in that one. Um, and then you have Iowa and Auburn. I'll probably go with Auburn just because the game's in Birmingham. Yep. Uh, like I said before, like, I, I don't know how they got that advantage. But hey, <laughs> you know, you, you, you get Iowa away from home um, where they Iowa, if they played the 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 whole tournament in Iowa City, <laughs> Iowa might win the national championship. Like that's how good they are shooting at home. Mm-hmm. Did you? I don't know if you remember this the the game against Michigan State a few weeks ago when they were literally down like ten points with thirty seconds left and they somehow got it to overtime. Yeah, and you're right. They covered the spread in overtime. It was that was the most insane thing I think I've ever seen. Like it was they just kept making three after three after three. Yep. Um, unfortunately this game is not in Iowa city, so, uh, we'll, I'll probably, probably take Auburn in this matchup. Um, I'm not a fan of, you know, the used car salesman Bruce Pearl yeah, himself, same, but I think same. he can, he can probably win this one. Yeah. Um, and that leaves the top two teams. I think it's going to come to, I think it's going to be chalk at the end of the day here. I think it's going to be, um, Houston and, um, Texas, um, in the, in the elite eight. And then we'll see, we'll see where Houston is in terms of their, um, if Sasser is back, but, uh, you know, Texas, like you said, very, very impressive season, especially after losing, you know, after the whole incident with Beard. Um, and then the Rodney Terry just rallied the team and they're playing their best basketball right now. Uh, I, I always worry about like being too, you, you read too much into like the team winning the conference championship and then like you go all in on them for the, for the, um, for the bracket. But man, they were, they were super impressive. So I think this will come down to Texas and Houston in a one, two matchup. I think the chalk will hold here. And then I don't know, I'll just, I'll just say Houston, just because the final four is in Houston, that'll give them maybe a little bit of an extra motivation. Um, and I do think, uh, Kelvin Sampson has the coaching edge in that matchup for sure. Uh, if that were to, if that were to happen and they're, they're just so good, uh, in terms of their, their defense and just, um, and how they play, and uh, by then you would figure their their point guard would be would be back if they could survive the first the first two rounds. So I guess I'll go chalk in this region with with Houston, but I, I think that would be a fantastic lead eight game, Houston and Texas. Yeah, um, well, one dude, one team that Texas might want to look, but Texas is going to have to look out for those Iowa State. 
because if I remember correctly, now just I'm trying to remember if this is it was Iowa State versus Texas or versus, versus Baylor. It might have actually have been versus Baylor, so never mind. But Iowa State did beat like one of the two like three times this year. Like, yeah, they beat Baylor three times. It was Baylor. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah these Baylor you're thinking of. Yeah, well, see Iowa State like. So they're they're they get the winner of the playing game, which mm-hmm. is Mississippi State and Pitts. So we can talk about that after. But okay. if, if if it's Mississippi State, the total on that game might be ninety. Like neither team can score. Like it, it'd be just <laughs> like it'll be a brick fest. Like it'll be crazy. But yeah, that's true. So we'll, we'll see about that. All right. Well, Bob, for those of you joining us late, that uh, this is John, John John and Connecticut's joining me tonight to break down all these regionals. We've covered three of them so far, and we're down to the toughest of them all. The West, which is an absolute gauntlet. Look at this. You've got Kansas. You've got UCLA. You have, um, you have, but you got had a pretty solid year, John. I mean, you'd have a better feel for that than I would, but they're pretty good. VCU had a nice run in the, in the A10 tournament. They were down by 10, they were down by a bunch to, uh, Dayton in the A10 championship and they came back to win. It was a really compressive victory for, for, uh, VCU. Um, Gonzaga, not really my favorite team. I don't think they're great. A uh, TCU though, wow, that's a team that can do things. They have played some tough teams. They've won a lot of good games. Um, in fact, I think it was TCU that had that win at Kansas. Kansas does not lose at home yeah. a lot. That was a huge win for yeah, they, TCU. Yeah, they won by like twenty points. It was a complete blowout. Yeah, it's an amazing win for TCU that that day. Um, and uh, you know, really the only real like, I mean, St. Mary's is really the the, the top dog in the. If you can believe it, that St. Mary's was the top dog in the West Coast Conference over Gonzaga for much of the season, so they're doing pretty solidly there. That's a tough game for St. Mary's. Oh wow, like just two really tough teams. Um, so yeah, let's get your thoughts on the West. I mean, there is a lot here to unpack. It's such a such a good conf- such a good regional here. Yeah, completely loaded. I think I saw like one of these analytics uh, guys, uh, Bart Torvik. Five of his top six teams are like in the the West region, like rated nationally, like not just like, you know, one, two, three, four in terms of the tournament seeds, like in terms of like an analytical, you know, predictive, like those are the the five best teams in the country, like out out here in this region. It's just insane. Um, I don't even know where you can start. Like you could make a case for Kansas to win this region. You can make a case for UCLA. You can make a case for Gonzaga. You could make a case for UConn. You could make a case for TCU as the sixth seed. Like this region is completely loaded like take your pick of any of those teams um honestly dave like i don't know like i'm gonna be thinking about this bracket probably yeah. until, up until up until thursday because you you can go any direction i mean my huskies are really really talented mm-hmm. I, I do worry about um uh danny hurley uh we had we've had some some rough losses uh when they 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 like they kind of stall on their offense and they're just kind of jacking up threes and they they really don't um, run any you know like motion or offense and that kind of really gets them in trouble but man they are a talented team like they 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 blitzed the, the tournament um their non-conference tournament they beat alabama like they had a, a, a tr- tremendous non-conference they got up to like in the top five in the country and they kind of stalled a little bit in the big east play for, just to start the year um and then they really found it again towards the end and, and unfortunately they lost in the quarterfinals to um or semifinals to marquette of the Big East Championship, but they're they're a really good team. I would not be surprised at all if they and I hope I'm hoping that they can win this region. But I'm you know I'm not so blind as to like I'm just going to pick them on my bracket because like I want to win some money too. Um, obviously going to be rooting for them, but yeah, uh, you know G- Gonzaga finished the year just tremendous. 
Um, they, you know, ended up, you know, the same is as it always was, you know, they ended up winning the West coast conference tournament, even though St. Mary's is, you know, had a fantastic year and, you know, they split with Gonzaga um, during the regular season anyway. And, you know, they're, they always play a, a, a very kind of grinding style of play. And um, it's just kind of, it's kind of a tough thing to deal with uh, for a lot of teams, but, you know, they work it to perfection and, um, you know, they're, they're really solid. And then of course you have, you have Kansas who's super talented and, you know, Bill self has been in this position time in over again is one of the top seeds. And you know, so he knows how to, how to get it done uh, in March. And then we mentioned before with UCLA, just uh, su- super talented team experience from that final four run with uh, Tiger Campbell and uh, uh, Jaime Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just complete, you know, it's just studs like in terms of shot makers when you need a big shot and, um, you know, they have some seniors like that guy Bailey really can shoot when they need a bucket, like fantastic, just a great team. And even without their big men, like I said, they were, they should have beaten Arizona. Like I, I would not be surprised at all if UCLA, um, you know, it made it through this region. Um, and then TCU, they really shouldn't be a six seed. I mean, they, they kind of struggled without some of their best players due to injury. Like Mike miles missed a number of games. Um, and they lost those without him. And now they're dealing with their center Lampkin is, um, he's out, I think for personal reasons, I don't know if he's going to be back, but, um, you know, if he, if he's back, like they're one of the best teams in the country, like that second round game between TCU and Gonzaga, like what a matchup in the second round, like that's just going to be tremendous. So again, you can go any which way here in terms of who you want to take. Um, and then you have the two, like the two, uh, uh, kind of outlier games, Arkansas, Illinois, and then Northwestern <laughs> Boise state, just kind of, just kind of sitting in this, sitting in this bracket. Um, although Arkansas, like, you know, they have like guys on their team that are going to be NBA draft picks. So, I mean, they're, they could give can they, I think they will beat Illinois and I think they can give Kansas a game. Like that's not an easy game for Kansas in the, in the, in the second round. So um, if you put a gun to my head and said, all right, pick one of these teams, I want to say my Huskies, but I have a bad feeling that they're that they're going to get not upset, but I don't think they're going to make it past like the Sweet 16. So I'm going to say UCLA. I just like watching them play, um, and I just I, I feel like their experience is gonna is gonna matter here at the end. And I I'll I'll, I'll go with the Bruins. So um, if you if I'm, so that's subject to change if I when I actually do my bracket. But right now I'm I'm feeling UCLA. It's a very solid pick. I mean, as you mentioned, like you could have picked any of four teams and I think it would have been a solid pick. Surprisingly, for as much as I've I've praised and raised the virtues of UCLA all season, and they have really been great. I'm actually going to take Kansas out of this regional just because a, the one seed is a good advantage. Um, I also agree on the Arkansas point. Like the next time that Brad Underwood wins a big game is going to be the first time. So I'm not. I'm not oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I learned my lesson when they lost to. Uh, uh, they were the one seed a couple of years ago, and they lost to Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago. I remember that game vividly. That was that was just horrific. And never again with that guy. Absolutely. So you know we're we're kind of done with them. So, <laughs> um, so with that that in mind, I think whoever comes out of there, I do think Kansas will will find their way out. Um. Gosh, yeah, they'll have a tough road, no doubt. Like they, they get out of the first weekend, and then they're going to be playing you St. Mary's, VCU, Connecticut, or I, I Well, I own. I don't think we have to worry. Well, no, I don't want to say that. No, well, I don't want to say that. Don't put that mush out I don't, there. I don't want to say know. that. I don't want to say that. Never. And besides, hey, Rick Pitino, Rick, slick Rick Patino. You never know say, what he's got up his sleeve. You never know with Rick Patino. He's he's a great coach. Like I'm not. 
I'm not gonna say that. Like so, um, but then the other side, the, the other side of the regional is, is even tougher than the other this side of the regional is. It's just, it's an amazing, it's an amazing region. Good luck to anybody, you're <laughs> including yourself, like filling out that that bracket. Yeah, right? you know what? You know where I want to be is in Las Vegas because that's where this regional is. That's the uh, the West Regional is in Vegas. Can you oh, imagine yeah. like those four four teams there? Man, what a time to be in Vegas! I'd love to be there just to watch that. You know that Thursday night of action or whenever whenever that regional is being played. Oh, so true! Wow, what a what a spot! What a spot! You're right, John. That's gonna be great. Oh, Rob, thank you for the twenty month resub. So sprots, I appreciate you. Welcome in. It's good to see you tonight. Yeah, this is phenomenal. Uh, so, so there it is. You have we've we've covered all the regionals. Let's go into the first four as a little bit too, because I I wonder if remember remember last year, UCLA made a final four run out of the first four, so it can absolutely VCU be, did too. One yeah. of the first years that it happened. That's right. That's right. They did. Uh, v, oh yeah, VCU had a great. Yeah, that was gosh. They're like one of the first years of the first four too. Yep. That's beautiful. Yeah. So let me just quickly pull this up. We'll we'll take a look at the first four four this year. Uh give me Wednesday, Tuesday. I think it's gonna be what? Tuesday, Wednesday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, tomorrow and Wednesday. All right, here we go. So we're gonna here the first I mean the sixteen sixteen is whatever it is. I, I think Texas Southern making it even as a sixteen sixteen is pretty weak. <laughs> they had the lowest win total in quite some time out of any team that they had 20 losses but hey you know what they won their conference tournaments you yeah. know what put put them in it is what Give it them, is you know? you know yeah but they they've they've been there like the experience of, of being in that position really showed because they've yeah. won their conference the last couple of years so they used that and they um were able to to handle the, the pressure and defeat the other teams in their conference and they earned they earned the trip so hey they, they earned a trip here and they can they can Win some money for their conference if they can. They could beat fairly Dickinson. I mean, but NEC's not a great conference, so I think that's a that's a game on Wednesday night. I love it. We'll get we we'll get to that in a second. But uh, first, let's go look at the 11-11 matchup: Pittsburgh versus Mississippi State. Now, this is interesting. I mean, Pitt. Yeah. Pitt flopped big time in the Big Ten. I I couldn't. I, I'm. A, this is a tough call to, for me. What What do you think? Yeah, this is this is tough. I'm not a fan of the ACC, but like I said, Mississippi State really struggles with on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I'll go with Mississippi State just because I think the ACC is just really weak. SEC yeah. a little bit better. Um, really, no rhyme or reason to it. I do like the Mississippi State uh, coach Chris Jans. He came over from New Mexico State, and if you remember, they had some really good. Uh, upsets in the NCAA tournament. They beat my Huskies last year, which was just awful for me. But, like, you know, he's a really good coach. And um, I just think they're going to be a little more physical than Pitt. And uh, I, I'll take Mississippi, Mississippi State. I think it's like a pick em line, maybe minus one or two. So we'll we'll go with the Bulldogs in that matchup. And partially because I want to see that um, Iowa State – Mississippi State game and what this what the total will be. Like I said, I think it'll probably be a it'll be a hundred. So I, I kind of want to see that matchup. That is going to be epic. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's go to Wednesday's first four action. Uh, we mentioned Texas Southern versus Farley Dickinson. Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be a small point spread. I, I, again, I don't have spreads for any of these matchups on me, but... Yeah, I can I can pull them up, Dave. Okay. Um, so the ones for tomorrow, we have Pitt, uh, sorry, Mississippi State favored by two and a half now. It was like one okay. earlier, so they're taking some money. And then in the other game... Corpus Christi is favored by three and a half over Southeast Missouri State. Seem um, not going to say I know a ton about those teams. <laughs> um, 
it looks like the over could be a good bet just based looking based on kind of the, the scores from SEMO mm-hmm. plays a lot of the games in like yeah. 80s and 90s. I'll have to look into some stats for that game. But yeah, those are the spreads for t- tomorrow. And then Wednesday, here you go. Texas Southern with 20 losses is favorite, Dave, over fairly Dickinson. That's funny. But you're right. Like They're, the experience is a big yeah. factor. Yeah, Texas Southern minus two and a half, mm-hmm. and then Arizona State minus two and a half over Nevada. Now that game, I mean, talk about two coaches you really can't trust. Right, Steve right. Alford and uh, Bobby Hurley. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, that that I don't know if I even want to bet that. That's 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 hard to. I would probably go with Arizona State just mm-hmm. just because I think just the talent level is probably better with Arizona state and just and you know, the mountain West, you, you can't trust them, especially in a matchup like this. So give me, give me the sun devils. That's true. The mountain West factors is an important factor. That's a very good point. So, um, so that pretty much covers it. Now I think we, we did cover our, our final four predictions. We can extend that a little further if you want to. Um, so just to recap now, I, I can give you what I, what I, what I picked for the final four. I have, um, and I'm going to go queue up, pull up my own bracket just so I, just so I get, make sure I have this accurately. Um, I don't, I thought I picked Duke out of one of them. Didn't I? I did not pick Duke. Wow. Look at me. I thought I'd have picked Duke. I did instead of Duke. I took Kansas state out of the East. That is interesting. I wasn't putting much thought into that. (laughs) 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 All right. We'll see. I guess we'll find out. Um, um, out of the West, I have Kansas, as I mentioned, it's a little bit of an upset because I, I think I've been so high on UCLA all year. So it's not a knock on them at all. I just think Kansas is that much better. Like it's it's honestly going to be it's probably going to be the two of them in the lead eight matchup, and it's going to be a great game. It's I I, I would I'd be want to be I'd be happy to be wrong about that because UCLA making a run to the final four again would be awesome. Um, so anyway, in the South, I did not take Bama or did I? No, I didn't take Bama. Oh no, this is this is this is going to be burnt up to crisp. I I don't know why I did this. I picked Virginia. That's not. Oh, Dave. That is dumb. Uh, <laughs> right? Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> that is not smart. I, I should. I need to. Maybe I should change that. Uh, but for the <laughs> for the Midwest, I took. I um. I did take Houston, which I don't love. But but you you're right though when you said that if it comes down to Houston versus Texas, I would give the credit coaching advantage to Samson too. Like I think Houston has had that's been to the Final Four. They have a lot of experience. I think it's a it's a really solid program. I think I definitely take them. I give them very much of a chance. So, um, with that said, let's get your your your. Oh, and then as far as who wins it all, like um, I have Kansas versus Kansas State, which would be an extremely rare matchup. That would be wild. And then I have Kansas State winning the national championship. So I've definitely thrown some darts in this. <laughs> This regional. Well, hey, Dave, you can always change it. I'm doing a bracket pool, so if you want to join and change it, go by all means. I'm gonna change the Virginia part. That that just that that's that that just yeah. I can't see that. I just can't. Like that's just that's asking a lot. <laughs> so I think when we're when we're going through this, I ended up taking Alabama, Duke, mm-hmm. Houston, and UCLA. I think those were the four teams that I ended up taking, um, just kind of off the top of my head. So obviously that can be subject to change, but that's kind of what I was feeling as I was going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if I had to pick a team to win it all, I'm not going to take Alabama just just out of spite for the whole situation there. Um, maybe maybe smart, maybe not, but I'll go Houston just to to cut down the nets in their own in their home city. So that'd be a pretty neat story, and be nice to see a, a team kind of from 
I can't say out of the power five because they're going to join the big 12, but for now, anyway, not like not in a major conference, uh, win it. It also, honestly, it would also be kind of cool to see, uh, Duke win it. And like, <laughs> it's almost like having Shire stick at the coach K after he <laughs> lost in the final four last year. And then yeah. he wins it his first year. That actually would be pretty neat. So, um, maybe we'll say, say Houston and, uh, and Duke in the finals. I mean, you know, you can love him, you can hate him, but Duke, you know, they move the needle. And it just yeah. kind of goes to show you that they can still be a great program. I mean, for now, like we need another couple of years to really know this, but it seems like they could be well on track to still be a good program even after Coach K. So that's kind of a good story in, it's, in itself. You're right. Uh, John, one other thing. If Houston does win the championship this year in Houston, it would mark 40 years exactly to the year that uh, they, they lost that championship to NC State. It's very interesting. Wow. 40th anniversary this year. Yeah. That's crazy. Did you? I'm sure you saw, but like there was a great ESPN 30 for 30 on their, um, on the NC State run. Yeah. Uh, that year, and it was it was fantastic. Yeah, it had a lot of had a lot of great stuff in that episode. I I saw that one. That, that's a great 30 for 30. Such a good yeah, and it was really cool to see a lot of them reunited. Like it's such a it's really amazing how they've kept that friendship going for so many decades. I think that's really yeah. remarkable. But uh, just one of the things that makes college basketball so special, you know? Like, it's pretty neat to see that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the gist of it. I don't think there's anything left in terms of... Uh, I mean, we could talk about who's going to be the 12-5 upsets, but we kind of did that already. So, um, any final thoughts? And then we'll just go ahead and close up shop for the night. Yeah, no, it'll be a... I think, like I said, like, there's going to be, um, you know because of the few upsets in the conference tournament, we have like the best teams in the field from almost all the conferences. So you're going to see some upsets. It's going to be a, a tremendous, tremendous tournament. There's no huge separation between like the, the best teams and like the, the both best teams. So could see a lot of crazy results. Um, if you're in a big you know, like bracket pool, it makes sense to just kind of maybe go for broke on one of the regions just to kind of differentiate yourself. Um, you know, obviously if you're playing with fewer people, maybe, maybe not so much, but yeah, this will be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait to get the, get the ball rolling. We get a little taste of the action tomorrow on Wednesday with the, the playing games. And then it all starts on Thursday, you know, 12. And the, I love, I know some people come kind of complain about how they kind of stagger the games, especially on the weekend, but I think it's great. Like you get to see the ending of basically every game without having to miss like another one. Obviously it's, you know, something goes to overtime, then maybe it, it overlaps. But other than that, like you get to see, you get to focus on the ending of like every single game and it just rolls from one to the next. I think it's the, that decision they made was, was phenomenal to kind of stagger that, that programming. And yeah, this is like from now from Thursday to Sunday is like the best, one of the best four days in, in sports for sure. And yeah, 100%. Um, it'll be fun to fun to watch. And um, you know, hopefully, hopefully the brackets and the bets go well and just keep us alive for the first weekend. Yeah. I love that. I mean, and, and it is really cool to see, it is honestly really Great. Not only that, you know, the other thing we've talked, and we've talked about this in previous years, but the fact that they're all available, that we can watch all these games on free TV, whereas they used to only oh, yeah. get like one of them at a time. Yep. And, yeah, you, I remember as a kid, you'd just get CBS, and then if you wanted to watch the rest of them, you'd have to pay like, you know, pay-per-view for like some package to watch the games out of the market. And then, you know, you'd be watching CBS and they'd flip into – well, here's a live look in on the so such and such game. And then like they they cut out of it. And you're like, no, go back to that. I, I want to see what happened there. Like, you know, and they, they, were, they were always, you know, toying with like when to cut out and when to go back in. It was just like, <laughs> a, it was a crazy, crazy time yeah. to, 
to try and watch the NCAA tournament. But now it's like, all right, the only time of the year I watch true TV is for the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I know. I, I think I made that joke last year um, somewhere. I said, this is the annual tradition of looking on your program. Got to see where true TV is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the good news is, it, you know, because it's, um, you know, I, I'm assuming like a lot of people have streaming nowadays. So it's like it's right next to TNT and TBS. So you, you don't venture too far off on your guide to mm-hmm. find it which is which is a good thing oh yeah yeah and that's still i think that's still true on youtube tv at least so i, I yeah. think that's where where i'm at now john this has been really fun like i thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight and uh you know pulling the extra overtime for to do the ncaa tournament spot you're definitely invited to come back next week when we cover the when the, we do the recap uh tommy was not able to join us tonight but he hopefully will be here next week so hopefully we'll be together for that scenario as well yeah, that sounds good. We can do like an hour recap slash preview of the Sweet 16. That, that sounds like a plan to me. Cool. John, thank you again. Have a great rest of your night. All the best. Yeah, you too, Dave. Thanks. See you. Take care. Hey, John in Connecticut. That was really fun, everybody. So, everyone, thank you again for tuning in tonight. Now, stay with us. We're going to rate somewhere pretty cool. Um, and uh, it's going to be an, an, an it's going to be a very, it's going to be, um, we're going to keep this momentum going. And so for those of you who have been listening on our podcast, we want to thank you again. My name is Dave Medina. You know me as Davey's Eating a Sandwich on all the platforms, including Instagram and TikTok and uh, elsewhere. Um, have a great rest of your, your evening. Again, as we mentioned, we'll be back next week with, with uh, more tournament coverage. But until then, we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone.